Yes, folks, finally buying the World Line one. On the Empire Podcast this week, we're live at King's Place London for our 500th episode! That's enough. That'll do. That's all the time we have, I'm afraid, folks. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, who was doing the whoop whoop? That was really good. Oh, that was fantastic. Can you do every live show, please? Oh, thank you very much indeed. Hello, Pod! I am Chris Hewitt. Welcome to a very special episode of the Empire Podcast. This is not our 100th episode, oh no. This is not our 200th episode. It's not even our 300th episode. You know where I'm going with this, pretty much. It is the 500th episode of the Empire Podcast. Actually, if you count all the interview specials and the one-offs that we've done and the ranking episodes, and I really should have drunk some water before I did this, but anyway, it's all good. And all the spoiler specials we've done, it's actually closer to 946 episodes, but... That's not really a milestone, is it? But 500 episodes is, as is... 10 years, or as Jeremy Piven once said, 10 years, man, 10 years, 10, 10 years, 10, 10 years, 10 years. Yeah, a lot of things have changed since we started doing this podcast back in 2012. When we started this pod, Marvel Studios was just taking his first fledgling steps towards world domination. Aunt May was still alive. <laughs> That's a callback to something that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yeah, that's right, I could do fucking time travel. We hadn't even seen the first Avengers, let alone Avengers Endgame. We didn't know that one day we should talk about portals. Can someone write that down, please? As far as I was concerned, the MCU was a Scottish university. Give it time. <laughs> and when we started back in 2012, Jeremy Piven hadn't even been cancelled yet. Oh, boo, now we know the line. How dare you come for Piven. Amazingly, we haven't been cancelled either, uh, but don't worry, maybe tonight's the night. Tonight, tonight. Another callback to something that hasn't happened yet. Who knows, maybe our guests can explain it a little bit more, right? Wink, wink, Tom Holland, wink. Oh God, I'm doing it again. Anyway, by we, I mean, well, let's just say that Morgan Spurlock isn't the only person who could supersize stuff. And I don't mean his penis, folks. Come on, come on. I mean, of course, our team. That's right, because this is a special occasion and a special occasion demands a special team, not Liverpool Football Club. Managed, of course, by Jurgen Norbert Klopp. Damn straight. I'm talking to say about our four colleagues of such lethal cunning. Who's going to get the sofa? I'm very excited to find out. First up, though, is our geek queen. Back in 2012, she'd only just started watching Supernatural and couldn't believe that a show based around two giant sentient nipples had made it onto network television. That is nothing. This show is filled with bell ends. Will you please welcome Helen O'Hara! 
Don't overstay your welcome with that, honestly. Uh, least but not last is our great big fucking nerd, a man who back in 2012 could be found talking about the merits of a certain sci-fi to anyone who would listen and quite frankly, anyone who wouldn't. I can still hear the faint echoes now. Please welcome the king of the dune splainers, James The worst. You all right there, Chimbo? You planning a hell of a Saturday night with that thing? Well, it wouldn't be Saturday night without an infinity wank. It's fine. <laughs> Too soon? Too soon. Always. You don't have the stones. <laughs> it's good shit right there. Um, back in 2012, the best dressed film journalist in Britain was Kim Newman, a man who wears a fetchy three-piece suit to nip down to the shops. Now... In what year is it? I, I don't know. 2022? Something like now that. Now in 2022, the best dressed man in film journalism is still Kim Newman, let's be honest. <laughs> but this man has made a valiant attempt to fill his shoes, not his literal shoes, that would be fucking weird. Anyway, will you please welcome the 14th best dressed person in British film journalism, Amon Woman! <laughs> Fourteen is actually not bad. You've had me rank lower in other pods, so thank you. I really have. I really, really, really have. Uh, last but not least is a man. Well, a boy, really. <laughs> Even if he does claim to be in his late teens, which I don't believe for a second, who back in 2012 was just living life in his floating crib. <laughs> and then one day a man clad in metal armor rescued him from his captors. They went on a number of adventures together and he, he had all the frogs he could eat and it was ever so wonderful. Will you please welcome our very own Baby Yoda. Ben Travis! Now that is an outfit, correct, yes. Got any macarons? <laughs> We've got some frogs for you. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. On your left. Hey. <laughs> oh no! Do me! Do me! Do me! <laughs> All right. Okay. Movie news. Let's start with movie news, folks. What has been happening in the world of movie news? And everyone suddenly goes for their Google Doc. That we... <laughs> I, don't I know what's top of the list. Ben this has knows. been top of my list since last Friday. So this is eight-day-old news, guys. Cutting edge. <whistles> Jason Momoa. <laughs> yes. Jason Aquaman Momoa is joining the cast of Fast and Furious 10. Woo! It is a goddamn miracle. <laughs> my <And> man. <laughs> my man. Oh, this is just everything, right? Yep. Because you've got to keep adding big burly, punchy men to the unstoppable, immovable object that is the Fast Saga, as we now know it to be called. (laughs) 
I mean, it's, it's very much a movable object, but otherwise, I entirely agree. Movable yeah. with wheels, with magnets, with magnet planes. Um, Jason is he going to be, is is gonna be part of the family? Or is he going to be kind of foe? <laughs> At which point in the narrative, because he's going to be all things, <laughs> depending on which night. He's, he's going to start off as a villain, come on. Jason Fomoa. <gasps> yes. Write that down. No, no. Are we thinking redemption arc? Oh, absolutely. Oh, Is there any other kind no, of arc I mean, yeah, in the Fast movies? Every, like every wow. large man to join the Fast series at some point has started off as an antagonist and then become a buddy. And you love that, so that's fine. I'm very much here for that. I, I think it's hilarious. Um, the only baddie who hasn't been redeemed so far is Charlize Theron, right? Um, nah, give it correct, time. yes. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, give it maybe, but, you know. I think given that the saga is coming to an end, they could stand to Don't just say have... that. Don't you dare say that. <laughs> I refuse. They could stand to have a villain stay a villain. Um, so just one. Yeah, just, just Charlize, just, that's fine. It's covered. It's all good. And Jason. <gasps> nice. Yeah, I said it. He's, too... He's a scary dude. I don't think he even needs a car. <laughs> I just I just think that guy could get around really really fast and just beat the living crap out of Finn Diesel's yeah. Dodge thingy family, family. Yeah. he does yeah. have more hair than anyone else in the franchise though like I feel like it's yeah. it's imbalancing this yeah. he, he is compensating for everyone else's lack of yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. single-handedly yeah his entire thing uh, he can have this and stick it on a business card or something if he wants he is too rad to be bad <laughs> that is his vibe through and through. Is that a too rad? Too, too rad, rad, rad to be bad. bad. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there is no way they're adding Jason Momoa to this and have him not turn out to be a good, by, good guy by the end. Come on. No, no. I, I want him to, to die horribly. <gasps> oh. You're a monster. I think we've established I'm already responsible yeah, for have. the pandemic. No, we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but we will. Ah, the joys of recording yeah. out of work. I, I keep forgetting about this linear time thing that we have. <laughs> if only we had a guest who did a show that could help us with the ins and outs of linear time and timelines and variant <laughs> authorities to do with time. <laughs> well, we'll never know, Ben. We will never know. But, uh, but is anyone excited about Jason Momoa in Fast 10? <laughs> Are we excited about Fast 10 just in general? It's just a concept of Fast 10. Woo! A couple okay. of people on the left. <laughs> <laughs> They're just excited about Fast 10 Part 2, which we haven't specified yet. But surely that's just Fast 11, right? <laughs> no, no. And at this point, Finn is outpacing mathematics. <laughs> He's just driving too fast. Numbers can't catch up. Can't that, catch up? It's can't been a long day. Up? It will have been a long day. It will have been a long day. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in the last one, they outran physics. This time, they outran maths. <laughs> Next time, they outran, I don't know, geography? Although they kind of did that because they went to oh, flipping long, space. Yeah. They've long ago outrun geography. Yeah. Next time, they, run out, they outrun home economics. <laughs> <laughs> what was that line in the most recent Fast movie that you loved, Helen? Yes, as long as we obey the laws of physics, we'll be fine. <laughs> I'm like, you. in a Fast movie? <laughs> you haven't so far. Yeah. Yeah, in fairness, that's pretty good advice for life in general. Yeah. I think we'll yeah. be fine. But yeah. not in a fast movie. No, I, true. I don't ever. This is very true. All right. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, about Jason Fomoa. See, it's catching on already. People are loving it. Yeah. It's trending on Twitter. Uh, but I'm also excited about something else that happened, which is that they've announced a new Scream. Ooh. 
Scream 2.6. Scream 6.2. To scream, yeah, scream, yeah, whatever it is. I don't know what the hell it's going to be called. But they, they've announced a new Scream with the same directing team, Matt Bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillette. And I learned that because I've been editing a spoiler special that <laughs> did the, uh, the interview for. Same writing team are coming back as well. And um, I don't think we can talk about this one without really getting too much into the spoilers. But this one hopefully has a chance to plow a new furrow in a way that perhaps the most recent Scream didn't. Yeah. Well, I think I don't think it's a spoiler to say some people survive the most recent scream. What? Scream? Yeah. <laughs> and and there are opportunities in that cast of survivors to do cool new things. Right? Yeah. And I don't know, if you're thinking of casting somebody who is a serial killer that nobody knows about, I just have some ideas of who they could base that on. <laughs> 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 that makes me very uncomfortable. I, I need to move over away. You like serial killers. Look at your T-shirt. Do you like scary movies? <laughs> I really wish that you were the new Ghostface. Anyway, Jimbo, do you have an opinion on this? Scream? I actually didn't watch the most recent Scream, so I have well, no okay. fucking clue who survived. But I think the ones who survived will be excellent in the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> well, hard-hitting film journalism. Yeah. Thank you. Do you have anything you're excited about? Yes, I Just do. generally in I life. Do. Okay. Do uh, it's a little bit of Renfield news. <gasps> oh, you. yeah. Uh, that Shore Agdashlu, the incomparable Christian Avasarala from The Expanse, uh, is going to be in Renfield playing a crime lord, which is perhaps the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of cinema so I'm very excited about that she may or may not be a goth I couldn't say one way or the other but she is fucking brilliant so she is fucking um, brilliant yeah it's, yeah it's very good you've seen The Expanse haven't you Chris I have seen I have bathed in its waters good, good I'm glad I love it I love when Chef Expanse does whatever he does yes, yes. it's so good uh, Shore Agdashlu she was the voice of a, um, oh Ah, oh, fuck it. Gozer in, in Ghostbusters Afterlife. And she was, she's, yeah. You know, she's yeah. She, she has amazing. the best voice. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not far off at the moment. <laughs> Touch of the Gozers. Yeah. She's actually, for the like three people who are going to know who I mean here, she's the fan choice to play Cad Swain in Wheel of Time, and she'd be fucking amazing casting for that. She is, there we go. She's tweeted about this as well. Yeah, she tweeted she? about yeah. it. So I'm like, oh my yeah. God, she wants to. But she is amazing. Like, no one swears better than Shirag, actually. Honestly, she's, she's fucking brilliant. Yeah. James anyway. is expanding in his pants right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Ren Renfield is getting better by the minute. Yeah. I was extremely yeah. unexcited. And now I'm like, I'm here for it. It mm. sounds kind of fun. So tell us more about Renfield then. This is the one with Nicolas Cage as uh, Dracula and Nicholas Holt as his long-term, long-suffering minion, uh, Renfield. Um, who apparently, this, this seems to be set in the present day, and at this point he's like, I've been look at, working for him for a really long time, and I'm super bored, and I want something new in my life, which apparently comes in the form of Aquafina. Fair. As herself, or what? I mean, possibly, yeah. but as a tra I think a traffic warden, basically. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. I'm here for it. So it's a comedy. I think it's a comedy, yeah, but I mean, at the same time, it's going to be bizarre, so I... You know, I, I hope it will be weird. This is the one that Nick Cage has said he's a goth for, isn't it? He's, mm. he's gone full goth for. I quite like, uh, you know, I wasn't part of the Nick Cage ranking we did earlier on uh, in the day, and I was very, very sad about that. But then I would have just banged on about knowing for <laughs> no. 25 minutes. We did mention it once in passing, so Yeah, fine. me and Roger Ebert, we were <laughs> the only two people who liked that movie. Yeah. It's good, it's good. We, we, it's we good film. recommended Company. it, but we it's didn't. Good film. Number 11 on my list. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I love his kind of late career 
tour of roles he's always wanted to play. Mm. Whether it's Superman via that voice cameo in Teen Titans Go to the Movies or, of course, as Spider-Man in uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and now Draculaire, which is uh, <laughs> which is really, really good. So very happy and excited yes. about that. Well done, Nick Cage. Well done, Nick Cage. Well done, Nick Cage. And so say all of us. <laughs> uh, anyone else? Yeah, I was going to mention the news about Masters of the Universe or He-Man. So, uh, it's Kyle, Heman, uh, by the way. Okay, sorry. Um, so Kyle Allen, or Kyle Allen, um, from West Side Story, uh, is going to play Heman in a new Netflix Masters of the Universe movie. Wow. Yeah. So he's, he's one of the jets in the movie. Um, in he, He-Man? No, in, in West Side Story. <laughs> I remember I ex- this very differently. <laughs> I was explaining why people might know it. In West Side Story, he's one of the Jets. He's yeah. kind of, that he's, movie he has, he's actually quite eye-catching in it. Eye-catching in it. I, I kept like sort of thinking, that guy's good. Oh, I like him. Yeah. Anyway, but he's going to be He-Man. So presumably right now, he's eating nothing but protein and <laughs> practicing his, getting, yeah, getting over the click fighting yeah. and getting yes. into the actual sword <laughs> fighting. That fights me, He-Man. What the fuck is he doing? He's just <laughs> clicking. I yeah. 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 The power. This is a live action, right? This is this, a live action. This is a live action. He- so, so yeah. Netflix has that new. Yeah, which I feel, yeah. Lamont, you must series. have watched that. I have. Yeah. It feels like something that you would like because <laughs> it's a fucking cartoon. <laughs> you used that word so negatively, and you shouldn't. Peppa um, Pig's a cartoon. You don't like that, Amon, right? You, you don't just like all cartoons. No, not all cartoons. No, and right, who doesn't so. like Peppa Pig? Peppa Pig is great for its target <laughs> audience. Fucking Peppa Pig. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I have seen uh, Masters of the Universe, which is the Kevin Smith uh, uh, animation. Uh, and yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, that one doesn't focus on He-Man as much as it could have to the chagrin of many fans who've been getting a lot of crap for that. But I have actually really, really enjoyed it. And in the second half, when he does go full He-Man and goes ham Ham-Man. on a bunch of baddies, Man. it's yeah. ham is, you know what ham means. Um, <laughs> What's that? You know what ham means. Hard yeah. as a motherfucker. Thank you, yeah. Ben. I have never heard yeah. that before. Really? I have never heard that before. It's like when someone on Twitter called me a goat, and I was like, you rude motherfucker. Apparently that's a good thing, and who knew? Who Greatest, on Twitter called you I mean, a goat? Yeah, it's absolutely not the case. No. I see what you're saying. And, and at what? At what would you be the goat? I mean, they may literally have meant a goat. It was very, very unclear to me. I'm not sure. Mm. Um, He-Man, I don't know. I, I, I've never seen, I haven't seen this, this new animated series. Yeah. I used to love the cartoon when I was growing up as a kid. With the page boy haircut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was a, it was a I had, um, I had Ram Man as a toy. <laughs> Pick your bottom. <laughs> He's a goat. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the classic He-Man cartoon was before my time, but yeah, oh, I, I, get I, I, out. I, I, get out. Get out. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And the revamped theme by Bear McCreary in the new show is really good. I mean, if well. it's Bear McCreary, I, oh, yeah. for it, that's yeah. I forgot to mention that we have given everybody a bingo card. <laughs> <laughs> and I deliberately like ticked five or six of the boxes in my little <laughs> intro. But there we go. There's another one. Amon talks about a film score or a composer. <laughs> well, this isn't a film score. This is actually a TV sort of Netflix score. So it doesn't matter. Or, it doesn't or, matter. or composer. It doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, has anyone got close to filling it? Hey. You got the whole thing? You got the whole thing? Not just a line? The whole thing? No, 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 yeah, anyway, it's being directed by the same people who are doing that Lost City film with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum and um, uh, Adam and Aaron Nee who made Band of Robbers. Okay. Which I don't really remember, but you know, okay. hey, live action He-Man could be 
I mean, look, it, can, it almost can't be worse than the Dolph Lundgren one, really. So <laughs> hey, don't knock it. It's all up from uphill from here. Don't knock it. Don't Courtney know. Cox, Frank Lang- Langella. Is it Langella yeah. or Langella? Yeah. Nigella, I think. Nigella is 100% <laughs> not in Masters of the Universe. Nigella would be an amazing Skeletor. Um, anyway, enough talk. Stick He-Man in the micro wave. <laughs> <laughs> I understood that reference. <laughs> TV reference. But it's TV, how did you know? I know! Yeah. We were well, funny, you should ask Helen. We talk about oh, it on God. the Pilot TV oh, podcast. Why? Why did I do it? Why? Why? Lost. He opened the door, he bulldozed right I know. through. He, he lost the quiz, though, didn't he? Did he did lose the quiz. There was no TV round in the quiz. I take issue with that. But this is a fucking Empire it's Podcast Empire quiz. Podcast. <laughs> I feel we were at a disadvantage. Yeah, well, you know, maybe <laughs> you sad. have your own podcast and get some listeners. <laughs> oh. And maybe then you can have a quiz. <laughs> Uh, so Dakota Johnson has just been cast as Madam Webb uh, in the spin-off Beth movie. Webb? <laughs> From the Pilot TV podcast. <laughs> Wait, Dakota Johnson is the new news editor of Empire? It's true. <laughs> Confirmed. <laughs> oh my God. Um, can, you ask, can you answer questions for me? Isn't, isn't Madam Webb like an, an, older, an older lady? In the comics and in the cartoons, yes. Right. Oh, I used the word. Mm. In the animated <laughs> in the, show. Not at all for children animated shows, yes. <laughs> Uh, yes. Um, so, yeah, it's not yet clear whether this is a younger version of Madam Web or they're going to put Dakota Johnson in old age makeup. Uh, but it's very interesting that we're getting this spin-off movie now, given uh, Sony's plans for Spider-Man and everything within that, because I feel like this could be an interesting way to connect everything, because Madam Web, by virtue of being Madam Web, has connections to all the Spider-Men in the multiverse. Pretend so. for a second that none of us know or care who Madam <laughs> Web is. And explain to us who she is. Uh, let me just get my Google. <laughs> I want to get this right. And it's been a long uh, time since I've seen the animated show. Uh, that, but uh, she's basically in a sort of webbed up life support system, right? Because she's, yes, she's elderly and, and frail and she has a, in the comics. Web. Yeah, I'll just leave uh, Helen to explain. <laughs> I was just trying to vamp while you were looking okay. it up. Okay, and you didn't right. lose the time. I thought you had it. Um, the Oxford English Dictionary defines a spider as an eight-legged creature. Keep looking, keep looking. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. I'm ready. I'm ready. Just, I'm ready. Don't Thank look you. at Thank him you. when he's talking. Look at your Google. Oh, my God. <clears throat> Live Googling. Madam Web first appeared in The Amazing Spider-Man 210, which was published in November 1980. Um, no. Uh, so, yeah, she... <laughs> uh, as... Uh, uh, Chris alluded to, she is a clairvoyant character with precognitive abilities uh, who once helped Spider-Man find a kidnap victim, apparently. I haven't read that comic yet. Um, but yes, uh, she's known as Cassandra Webb. She is a blind elderly woman uh, who has a chronic neuromuscular disease that makes it difficult to move and breathe, which is why she's sort of... Well, this sounds like a gripping film. <laughs> I think they might switch it up a little bit when like it comes to the live changes. action films. Yeah. 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 Just yeah. from the casting, I feel like there might be some changes. Yeah. I'm, I'm so disappointed that the this this universe of Sony Pictures Spider-Man movies is no longer called Spumpk. <laughs> because you cast Dakota Johnson and Fifty Shades of Spumpk is right there. That's a, that's a headline, <laughs> right? But they've changed it now to whatever boring-ass thing it is. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Listen, the, the jury's still out on these things. We're not big fans of the Phantom movies. I know some of you are, and you will be judged accordingly. <laughs> um, and Morbius... Obviously, looks like the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> Obviously, I, I don't know. I'm Every just, day is Christmas Eve. I'm just a little skeptical about these these non Spider Man attempts to make Spider Man movies. And listen, if we had a Spider Man in here later on in the show, <laughs> I would tell him that to his face. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, Madam Webb, can I just say something that I'm really excited about? Sure. 
And I'd be very intrigued to see from the audience reaction if anybody else is excited about this. Because Big Nick O'Brien is coming back in Den of Thieves 2. <laughs> yes! No, but... Any, I was like wondering, Nick O'Brien... Jerry Butler must be here. This is incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering for a second, Nick O'Brien, who is he? And then you said Den of Thieves. I was like, okay. Den of Thieves, yeah. power. I mean, we've already discussed this. I think I said this in a previous live show. But Jerry Butler right now is on, uh, I think, a run unparalleled in acting history. <laughs> Greenland, Den of Thieves, Greenland. <laughs> Just hit after hit after hit. And now Den of Thieves 2 is coming. Is As is Greenland 2. Cop shop. As is Greenland 2. Cop shop, cop shop. I mean, yeah, God I like almighty. Cop shop, actually. Yeah. So excited about this. I am evidently the only person who is. So let's talk about something else. I mean, do you want uh, the, that Netflix trailer? With the appalling Nine star? Out two. I'm sorry, what? What's that? Nine Nine out two. <laughs> Nice out too. Uh, oh yeah, nice out too. The, yeah, yeah. True. There was a tiny little glimpse. That was exciting. Yes. Yes. Yeah. At least half a second. Of great Benoit hats. Blanc. Great, great hats. <laughs> yeah. um, Benoit Blanc and I think it was in pink. It was very, very yeah. uh, stylish. But, um, but you probably want to talk about uh, a certain person's mustache. The grey man, that mustache. <laughs> it must go. <laughs> <laughs> has anyone? Has everyone seen this? By the way, so you know yeah. what we're talking about. So that the the trailer, the sizzle trailer mm. that Netflix did, going here are all the great movies we have coming in 2022. Uh, trying to overlook the fact that one of them was also in our <laughs> sizzle reel for 2021, uh, which is the Chris Hemsworth, uh, Joe Kaczynski movie, Escape from Spiderhead, which I'm sure will be amazing. Um, but uh, but the Grey Man, the Russos, big return to big budget action filmmaking with Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans, who apparently, in an attempt to prove that Gene Kelly is hotter than him, has told you something on his face. He's had this tash before. He's had something yeah. like this before. He did a Broadway show, Stopped didn't he? Broadway show where he also yeah. played. It was um, uh, Lobby Hero. Lobby Hero, yes. And he had the tash for that, and it was appalling. And he has brought it back. Why? Why commit this violence? I can only assume they looked at the three of because Regis Jean Page is in it as well. They looked at the three of them and were like, guys, this is ridiculous. This it's too is much. Not Realistic. There's too, too much, much handsome. Somebody needs to take People one for the team. People will be fucking in the aisles in the cinema. <laughs> Someone needs to take one for the team and give themselves the worst hair and, and facial hair combo that the world has ever seen. And Chris Evans, being a nice guy, goes, look, I had the best hair and facial hair combo the world has ever seen back in Avengers Infinity War. So why don't I, you know, take the bad stuff this time? I'll take one for the team, boss. Golly. <laughs> anyway, so that's what I assume happened, but, yeah. but really it's something I'm trying to work through um, at the moment. And I think a lot of people are in the same boat. So, yeah. you know, just solidarity to all of you as well. Hope we'll get okay. through this time, this difficult time together. At least we have knives out too. Yeah. And, and speaking of boats, I mean, Knives Out on a Boat <laughs> is amazing. And this is continuing my theory, right? That uh, obviously Knives Out 2, we know it's set in Greece. They shot in Greece, they are on a boat, and that continues my theory that it is set on one of the boats that comes to Calakari in Mamma Mia, here we go again, in the Dancing Queen sequence. So this yes. boat will eventually end up at the Hotel Belladonna, and oh my a, a boat just in front of the Benoit Blanc boat is going to be Colin Firth. Brilliant. Dancing to Dancing Queen with yes. the other two dads, Tom Skarsgård and yep. Piers Brosnan. Someone make an edit of that when the yeah. picture comes it, it must this happen. This is an Amon Woman guarantee. I've seen this. This is happening 100% for sure. Well, there you have it. 
a burn guarantee. <laughs> I'm just a passive observer <laughs> of ABBA's greatest hits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very excited about whatever the hell Ben was talking about. Um, <laughs> that's going to be amazing. Uh, all right, we only got a little bit of movie news left. What, what else is happening? BAFTA nominations. We Dune! Sorry. Dune, Dune. They are led by Dune, which we, we must admire them for. Um, Power of the Dog also up there, probably likely to, let's be honest, win more of the big prizes. Fuck you. Look, <laughs> I'm being realistic. I'm not, I'm not saying it should, I'm just saying it, it's more James, likely. Your magical movie is still very good. It's still very good. It will be okay. 11 nominations. I'm going to hold Boyd, because Boyd is a member of Batman. You're going to hold Boyd. I'm not going to hold him in that way. I am going to hold Boyd personally responsible if, if Dune doesn't win. All I mean, he's the only voter, so it will all be down to him. Yeah. He did not get nominated. No, I know yeah. he didn't. In fact, but that's all right because there were hardly any white men nominated this year. Oh. That's yes. true, wasn't it? The most female <laughs> yeah, nominations. Fuck ever. you, white yes. men. Yes, yeah. 50% female nominees. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. fantastic. Um, so, yeah, there's some really great nominations, actually. Uh, it, is, it is very encouraging to see people whose performance was not entirely in the English language get nominated for acting awards, for example. I am personally genuinely appalled that the souvenir part two didn't get anything, which I think is appalling and, and it feels like BAFTA's like forgotten what they're supposed to do in terms of supporting British film because if they I mean don't, it's not Dune if they don't appreciate <laughs> yeah but come on it, Dune wasn't up for best British film they could have put the souvenir in there everybody's talking about Jamie is nominated for best British film that's wild get the fuck out of here with that shit <laughs> put the souvenir part two in there and then maybe we can talk but until then I'm sorry no this is wrong it's definitely yeah. eligible wow yeah. It's eligible and they didn't, they didn't vote for it. They, didn't go for, they also didn't go for the souvenir. Have they seen films? I don't know. Well, I mean, we should talk about another thing, another very famous snub from BAFTA, which was, uh, again, perpetuated this week. BAFTA, I don't know whether you know this, have never nominated... I'm on. Steady now. I'm calm. I'm calm. You're not about to be calm. <laughs> they have never nominated Denzel Washington. <laughs> oh, my God! What the fuck? <laughs> Honestly, I think Training Day, Malcolm X, Macbeth. Heart condition. <laughs> Why'd you have to go there? Sorry. <laughs> but so, like, that, that two is, guns. That is an. Em- the Equalizer <laughs> 2. Equalizer Listen, two. you know my love for the Equalizer 2. I would give that man all the Oscars and the BAFTAs and all the Biffas and everything. Is I'm not even sure if the Equalizer 2 is eligible for a Biffa, but I would give it the Biffa. Fuck it. Give it the FA Cup as well. The Equalizer 2. Yes. No. 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 All right. But anyway. It is an embarrassing stat that yeah. I cannot believe that they haven't rectified uh, much sooner than this, than this year. The fact that they didn't take another really good opportunity to do so this year because he's fantastic in Macbeth. It's insane to me. Mm. I also didn't like the fact that Andrew Garfield didn't get I know what? Because I loved his performance in Tick, Tick, Boom. I thought it was a fantastic mm-hmm. film. And he's been getting a lot of awards buzz for it um, pretty much everywhere else. So mm-hmm. I was shocked at that. That being Take said... Take out DiCaprio and we've got space in that category. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's had yeah. it before. He doesn't need it. It's not that great a performance. Yeah. You know, we can put either Garfield or ideally Washington in there and, and yeah. it'd be lo- much better, yeah. you know? 
That being said, uh, Hans Zimmer is probably a lock for uh, June because of the space backpipes. So there's at least yes. that. <laughs> also, I think it's probably got the best chance for uh, best sandworm in a movie. <laughs> what? Troy Hulud for best actor. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Belfast has some great sandworms. So, you know. My idea of what happened in the Troubles seems very different to what else <laughs> Can I just say, though, the thing that made me really, really happy in the nominations... Um, was the best supporting actor, Woody Norman, the little yes. kid from Come On, Come On, which for some fucking reason we gave three stars, which is absolutely insane. <laughs> was it Obviously. Helen? No, it was absolutely <laughs> no. not me. I would be five stars all it's, over the place. It's a beautiful, beautiful film. film. Mike Mills is Come On, Come On. It's, it's Joaquin Phoenix and a little kid. And the little kid is Woody Norman. And he is amazing. And he has been... Nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Yep. And that means we're going to get Woody Norman in a little bow tie <laughs> on the red carpet. Oh, that's going to be <laughs> a joy. <Jordan> crib. <laughs> <laughs> Eating macarons. And frogs. Yes. That's my understanding of uh, how you bring up kids anyway. <laughs> so, okay. uh, anyway. All right. So is that it for the movie news? I think so. I think we've yeah. exhausted all movie news possibilities. Nobody needs to hear me talk about the Starfleet Academy. TV series so no, short. No, no. I'm, I'm sure there is a uh, a forum where you can listen to this, right? Possibly, yes. Yeah, okay. yes, good. All right, okay. So, time now, folks, for our first guest. It's a packed show tonight. First up is a man who is emphatically not the director of Fright Night, nor is he the author of Rubicon and Persian Fire. He's not a footballer for the New Saints either, and he has never, to my knowledge, repaired James Dyer's roof. But he is one of the best and brightest young actors on the planet. He is the star of films. You're way ahead of me, aren't you? He's the star of films like The Impossible, Cherry, Captain America, Civil War, Spider-Man Homecoming, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man Far From Home, Spider-Man No Way Home, and now, the eagerly anticipated Uncharted. Please welcome Tom Holland! Oh, my words. Tom, sit in the middle chair. Do you like a warm Evening, everyone. Hello. Hi. Oh, put the water just out of reach, which is really annoying. Scoot forward and get the water. How are you? Does that happen everywhere you go now? Almost, yeah. (laughs) It's strange. Like you just go into your local shop and it's like, Tom Holland is here! I'm like, shut up! (laughs) They will know. Um, How are you, man? You good? I'm good, yeah, I'm really good. How are you? I'm very good. I am very, very good indeed. Thank you for doing this, because things must be pretty hectic for you right now. Not just with having one of the biggest movies of all time, but Uncharted is out yes. next week. What are the nerves like at this point? You're six days out from release. It's out of your hands at this point. Firstly, let me just say, I need to start reading my schedule because I was told that this was a podcast. <laughs> so I know that you're surprised to see me, but trust me, I'm far more surprised to see you. <laughs> So this is- I was backstage like, who are all those people? <laughs> um, but yeah, we're six days out. It's always an exciting time. You know, we work our hardest to make these films what they are. And, you know, you are the people that we make these films for. We want you guys to be able to escape, to enjoy the cinema going experience. Uh, 
and to see something you haven't seen before. And Uncharted, you know, while it is paying respects to some of my favorite movies, you know, the Mission Impossibles, the Indiana Joneses, the James Bonds of the world, yeah. it does have a certain quality to it that is incredibly unique. So for me, I'm six days out and I'm counting down the days. I've made films before where I'm like, can we just keep pushing it and pushing it until <laughs> you just put it in the bin? <laughs> Um, so I'm incredibly excited. I feel I'm very proud of the movie. Mark Wahlberg and I have had a wonderful time making these mov this movie. Uh, and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as we did making it. Well, can I just say something? I've never played the game. But I don't have a PlayStation. Don't judge me. But it made me want to play the game. Now, can you lend me 500 quid so I can buy a PlayStation, first of all? But what was your relationship like with the game before you signed on to this? It's, uh, it's an interesting story, actually. I was playing Uncharted 4 while we were shooting the sequence in Spider-Man Homecoming where I fall through the elevator shaft. Okay, yeah. Um, which is a great way to start a story. <laughs> None of my stories start like that, by the yeah. way. Um, but yeah, so we were on set and, you know, naturally with those sort of heavy stunt action sequences, it takes a long time for lighting setups or for stunt you know, rigs to be made safe and all that sort of stuff. So, yep. you know, sometimes, you know, you can have two to three hours in your trailer waiting for people to, you know, finish tinkering with things. So naturally, obviously working for Sony, one of the luxuries are that we don't have to spend 500 pounds on a PlayStation because they give <laughs> us one. Um, so yeah, we had a PlayStation and we started playing uh, Uncharted 4. And I remember sitting there, I was with my best mate Harrison and... Ford. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. This is new information. Yeah. Harrison Osterfield, my mate from school, and he came out to Atlanta with me to work with me on Spider-Man 1. And we're, I remember sitting there with him saying, wow, this would make an amazing movie. You know, because the game, I don't know if anyone in here has played the games, but they are so cinematic. Mm. And the story is so compelling. So, you know, we're playing the games and I'm thinking, wow, this would make an amazing film. I look up who has the rights. Obviously, Sony have the rights. Fantastic. But Ryan Reynolds is attached to play Nate. Okay. So I was like, okay, brilliant. I'll let that one go. And then I came up with an idea for a young Bond film, essentially uh -huh. like an origin story to what James Bond is. Yeah. I pitched it to Sony. I sat down with Tom Rossman and sort of pitched him the idea. And he really liked the idea. And it's no secret that Uncharted is a film that they have been trying to make for a very long time. <laughs> a long time. You know, Mark Wahlberg at one point was going to play yeah. Nate. Yeah. And then he got old and now he's playing <laughs> Sully. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm, and, and, and Tom sort of said, like, right, brilliant. Well, let's do this. Let's cast you as Nate. And, you know, I think taking over from Ryan Reynolds is the highest form of flattery. I mean, <laughs> he's as handsome as it gets. Um, so, yeah, so then they cast me in the film and we went through a huge prep process of finding the right director and working on the script and developing the actual film and the aesthetic of what it was going to be. Mm -hmm. And then we got to set for the first day of shooting after sort of five years work and we got shut down because of COVID. Yeah, which was actually a blessing in disguise because I showed up to work and Mark was like three times the size of me. He's so <laughs> massive. I look like his 12-year-old son. So I took the sort of five-month break to just train, eat and train, eat and train, eat and train every day and put on as much weight as I could, which was good. I actually really enjoyed it. Were you worried in case, you know, it just went all horribly wrong and you didn't put any muscle on? <laughs> that was it. There's no yeah. movie at that point. 
Yeah, I would have got my Spider-Man muscle suit out. <laughs> I would have called Sony and be like, send well, me the muscle suit. But they can do so much stuff for CG these days now, Tom. It'd be fine. Yeah, they can. They take out all my acne. They do what's called a beauty <laughs> pass. I went to go and see Spider-Man way before it was finished. And one of my biggest notes was like, can you please fix my skin? Like, because we were shooting and we were tired. And when I get tired, you know, I, I eat unhealthily and stuff like that. And my acne comes back and all that sort of stuff. So they do do a beauty pass. So we don't look like that in real life, guys. <laughs> that kind of works when you're playing a 17-year-old, right? Just leave it in. I say put more acne in, if anything. It's true. It's just continuity. I get so much of this stuff. Like I'll have spots bouncing over my face from different shots. <laughs> So um, Uncharted, I, I'm a sucker for movies in, you know, where people have to find the thing mm -hmm. that tells them the way to get the Watsit, that yeah. unlocks the doohickey. Right. So I love all that stuff. That's yeah. amazing. Me too. Um, and that must have been a tremendous, like you're just in catacombs constantly, in catacombs. Yeah. I would love that shit. Oh, I mean, mate, me too. Indiana Jones, those kind of films were my favorite films growing up as a kid. Um, but it's a lot of fun. It's also incredibly frustrating. It's great to play the puzzles on the game. But to come up with the puzzles is really difficult. Mm. There's a huge sequence in this movie where Nate essentially has the final clue. He understands what it is he needs to do. He just needs to figure out how to utilize this clue. And it's to do with a map and these crosses and all this different stuff. And what was written in the script was like, there was an X on the map. Right. And I was like, guys, it's like... $5 billion worth of treasure. It was lost 500 years ago. They can't just put an X marks the spot will not be in this movie. Yeah. And we had to come up with the idea of how to discover the gold. And it was a lot of fun, but it took weeks and weeks and weeks. And we were pushing the scene back and pushing it back. And obviously when you make these films, they build sets and they want to strike them as quickly as possible mm -hmm. because it costs money to rent the stages. And Sony was so angry at us because we were like, <laughs> We can't break this set down because we haven't figured out the end of the movie. But eventually we figured it out. And it, I'm, it's a sequence that I'm very proud of because it's, it's, uh, it's very exciting to watch. So um, the, the film is based around their relationship between, between Nate and Sully. And this is, this is like this is the early years. So Sully hasn't got his tash right. at, at this point. I may not play the game, but I know <laughs> Sully has a tash. Don't judge me. Uh, so again, it must have been fun doing that you know, with Mark and filling in the, the, the details of that relationship, the banter, finding the chemistry. I mean, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think this film, the relationship between Nate and Sully is really the heart and soul of the film. Um, and you know, there is nothing worse as an actor than forcing chemistry. Mm -hmm. Like if you're doing a scene with someone that you really don't like, but you have to pretend like you're busy mates, it is really difficult. And I think audiences can sense it. So that's happened to you? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Anthony Mackie? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, so I was just, I was lucky that Mark and I got on really well and we were able to um, just have fun. You know, Ruben is our director. He's an amazing collaborator. So he really gave us the time to enjoy the space and to work with each other and make mistakes. You know, I often find with these films, the best ideas come from the worst mistake. So Ruben is the best director in that sense. He allows us to have the freedom to play, take the piss out of each other. And I think a lot of our kind of back and forth banter off camera 
is what sort of made its way into the film. You know, we're both very competitive. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. But we were pushing each other's buttons where we could. <laughs> okay. So I've got a bone to pick with Tom Holland. Last time I spoke to you, Tom, was for the Empire Magazine cover feature <laughs> for a little film I like to call Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, yes. And, y you know, you were great. You, know, you, you gave me the good shit. Yeah, okay. But I looked you directly in the eye over Zoom. <laughs> and I said, Tom Holland, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are they in this movie. And you said, you lying fucker. You said... <laughs> No, they're right. not. Come on, Tom. What's happening? Sony would have killed me. You can see. <laughs> Sony would have killed me. You could have given me a nod. You could have gone, no. Yeah. And then an exaggerated wink or something. I don't know. I remember sitting down with one of the people that make the trailers and he was trying to say that, you know, when there was that Brazilian trailer where Andrew's Spider-Man hit the gob, hit the the goblin, the um, lizard. Yeah. He was like, you know, we left that in there on purpose. I was like, no, you didn't, you lying <laughs> bastard. You just missed it. And it was a great, like, just trying to take credit for the most genius piece of marketing ever. And it was a complete accident. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. I'll accept that. That's fine. You know, it's all part of the great I'm sorry. Game. I had to maintain the magic. No, it's fine. Hey, tell you what, you did say something. I said to you as well, Sinister Six in this movie, yes or no? You said no, and that was true. Right. So well done. There you go, Tom Holland. Thank you. Purveyor of truth. But it was weird. It was one of those weird little dances because you knew that they were in the movie. Sure. I kind of knew they were in the movie. Sure. <laughs> but we couldn't actually say that sort of stuff. So how, I mean, how difficult is it to keep that stuff stum? I know you haven't had the best track record <laughs> in that area. Yeah. But this is proper next Thanks level Thanks for bringing secrecy. that up. It's fine, we're moving past it. It's tough. It is really tough. And I think now that I've managed to keep arguably the biggest secret in cinematic <laughs> history a secret, we can move on from the fact that I spoil everything. It's so funny. Every time you sit down with the journalist, they're like, so you like to spoil things, do you? My dick. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was tough. But you know why it was tough? It's like, I'm a very honest person. Yeah. You know, I'm honest with my friends. I'm honest with the people that I'm surrounded by. But the only people I can't be honest with is the rest of the world. So I literally was lying every single day for two months. And it really weighs on you. Mm. Lying is, it's not good. It, it corrodes the soul. So it does. Well, next time, if I ask something like that, you have to look me in the eye. Even if you're telling me a porky pie, right. you have to do the wink. Okay. Right, okay. I'll try my best. All right. Because in print, oh, I've got something that in my come eye across. kind of yeah. thing. Okay. said Holland winking conspicuously right. that doesn't really work like that in print so it's fine it's all good but I, I've just got to ask really quickly because you know Spider-Man No Way Home blew my socks off uh, whenever I saw it and uh, that, those moments with, with Toby and Andrew I know you talked about this a little bit sure. but that must have been extraordinary the first time three of you were on set I mean <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> there's not even a question yeah. there it's just me saying something at the end going Jesus Christ yeah Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, it was mental, honestly, mate. Like, I was petrified when they were coming in. Because, you know, when you play Spider-Man for so long, there's only three people to have done it on the big screen. And you have a sense of ownership of the character. He feels like a part of you. And I was worried that, you know, these other two actors who have equal ownership to this character were going to come in and kind of try and shake up the system. Mm. And we had a really good thing going. 
<laughs> and I'm delighted to say that they came in and all they wanted to do was elevate the movie. They had certain things that they wanted to try and hit with their characters. You know, I know Andrew was very keen to sort of get a point across mm-hmm. throughout the film, which I really think he did, which I'm very proud of him for. Um, but like all the acting and all of that aside, it was so fun. It was so fun because, you know, like I said, being Spider-Man can be quite alienating. You know, it's quite a strange experience. So to have two other people that you can share that experience with mm-hmm. and talk to who are the only people that really understand some of the problems that you have was an incredible experience for me. And they were like my big brothers. We really were like a brotherhood. The scene in the film when we say goodbye to each other, that is based off of something that actually happened naturally on set. We were shooting the scene on the roof where they come to see me after uh, May's death. And if you haven't seen it, that's your fault. (laughs) So, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I just remember looking at them up there. <laughs> oh, it's a late night audience, right? Well, we've been swearing all the time. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the cat's out the fucking bike with that one. Yeah. But yeah, I remember, so, you know, you shoot these big films and, you know, rather than on a smaller film, a scene can take an afternoon to shoot. On a big film, it can take three days to shoot just because, you know, rather than having, like, cross coverage, you've got two camera cranes working in tandem with each other and it takes a while for them to get set up. So I'm shooting this crying scene on the roof. You've all seen it. And if you haven't, what are you doing? (laughs) And I was crying for like two days straight, just constantly crying. And it was fine. I was getting it done, but it got to the point where we were going to shoot my close up, and I was sort of struggling to get there. And you know, one of the ways I cry on set is I think about how happy I am and how lucky I am. And sometimes that kind of emotion spurs on tears. So I just went up to Toby and Andrew and sort of like, I had them like this. And I sort of said, guys, thank you so much for being here, for participating, for being so welcoming and kind and loving. And as I was talking, I was like, I just want you to know that I <laughs> And Andrew started crying and Toby started crying. And then we were hugging and all the writers were like, yeah, that's how it's going to be. Brilliant. So it was, um, it was fun. It was a good time. And, you know, Andrew can take his hands off. Uh, hang on, let me explain that better. <laughs> let me explain that better. That makes no sense. <laughs> hang on. This is one of the hardest things about wearing the Spider-Man suit is not being able to use your fingers because right. you, you can't use your phone because you, the gloves aren't like touchscreen sensitive. Yeah. So I have got so good at using my nose, <laughs> you know. And I was on set and we were sort of talking about the problems. Like, isn't that so annoying? And then Andrew just went zip and pulled both of his hands out. <laughs> I, honestly, I was furious. <laughs> I was like, the cheek, you've come to my set. With your hands. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, we're, we're out of time, but I do want to ask just one, one last thing. I, I know, don't worry, there are more people coming. It's fine. Tom's got to go. Tough act uh, to follow though, I know. Oh yeah. <laughs> See, that's the thing I like about you, Tom. You lack confidence. <laughs> yeah. if, you can, if you can get confidence, honestly, the sky's the limit for you. Cheeky little shit. <laughs> Takes one to know one. Uh, very quickly, the scene where you and the other Peters point at each other 
Yes. Did you have to explain that to Tobey Maguire because he's ancient? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, T. McGee. Um, no, he knew what that was. He knew what that was. That was actually Andrew's idea okay. to do that. There's multiple points in the film. I think there's two, but we shot like five of them. <laughs> uh, just because at any given moment, we'd all be like... <laughs> you see what we did there? <laughs> but, uh, but no, it was... I mean, honestly, mate, like... That film, for me, will forever be one of the highlights of my career. Like, from, from, from everything, from the people that have been on every single Spider-Man film with me, you know, to my friends and family who have been on this roller co coaster from the beginning, to sharing it with Toby and Andrew, to, you know, breaking all of these records, you know, which we owe you guys for. I mean, that's, that's, that's your part, and you've done it so well. Thank you. <laughs> I just, I, I don't think there will ever be anything quite like it again. And I'm delighted and honored to have been a part of it. And it's been the most rewarding and wonderful experience. And to share it with Toby and Andrew at the end was just amazing. I would love to be the one guy in this room who hasn't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that there anyone be... that hasn't seen it? Yes! We need to have a talk about Aunt May. <laughs> but we'll do that after Tom leaves. Uh, he is indeed a hard act to follow. Uncharted is out next week. Will you please give it up once again for the incredible Tom Holland! Thank you so much. Thank you. The next guest is another Tom Holland. We basically just have a, we just have a stream of them coming on. Uh, please welcome James Dyer's roofer. Uh, all right, here we go. Uncharted, out next week, folks. Um, and if anyone does want to give me a PlayStation 5, then please, I will be uh, doing a meet and greet afterwards. Uh, anyway, when I'm going to step off stage for our next guests and let someone else have a crack at doing the speaking thing. Uh, so here to interview them is Beth Webb. <laughs> I know that was wild, wasn't it? That was good. Uh, this is your microphone in a second. Uh, don't worry, I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm not contagious. Uh, and yes, I did say guests uh, because we have two guests for you now. One is one of the finest writer-directors in this country who, with her new movie, The Souvenir Part 2, is further exploring the themes and characters she introduced in the wonderful The Souvenir. And the other is one of the stars of The Souvenir Part 2, a wonderful young actor who has made a mark in films like County Lines, Beach Rats, and The King's Man, and who this week was nominated for an EE e. Rising Star BAFTA. That's right, folks. And Damn straight. Will you please welcome the two and only Joanna Hogg and Harris Dickinson! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Hello. Hello, both. Both of you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm so sorry that Tom Holland had to open for you. That must have been really 
We're the hard act to follow. To yeah. <laughs> <Still> apologise. <laughs> I mean, how are you both feeling now? This this film has been in the works, obviously for yourself, Joanna, for a long time now. How are you feeling now? It's out in the world. People are able to go and see it on big, beautiful screens. How is that for you? It, it, it's great. It's great, actually. I mean, it's a little bit confusing, uh, to be honest, because I, um, I've i been promoting part two, um, but also part one. I was just in France where both films came out. And that's if that weren't enough, I'm, I'm just finishing another film. So it's, yeah, sometimes I wonder which film I'm talking about where. <laughs> so Amazing. And I mean, this is a very, obviously an incredibly personal film for yourself. Harris... What was the key to honouring Joanna's kind of legacy, I guess, and, and personal life when you when you boarded this? Yeah, how how did you approach that? Um, I mean, I felt I start off by saying I felt incredibly grateful to be welcomed in. You know, I'm only a small part of this film, but I um, I think that you know Joanna works in a very specific way in a very um, very special way. You know, for an actor to come in and not be told much and um you know I got separate from separated from the cast so we met on screen for the first time and um with a lot of improvisation heavy work so and I like that and I, I like kind of being a little bit scared and I like um not knowing much and um otherwise I just go around in circles overthinking so yeah I, I guess I just wanted to I felt a pressure in answer to your question but I also didn't have anything to overly um uh think about you know i just sort of turned up and let joanna sort of guide me and let it be that you know and what was your relationship like with her work before you you came on board with this so i i, I hadn't seen joanna's work we we spoke about um because souvenir part one was uh, yet to be released and joanna suggested that i watch it and then suggested maybe i don't because i was portraying you know within the story so um so yeah it's yeah it was nice not knowing much and and you know I've, I've later watched uh all of Joanna's films so I'm a fan yeah. <laughs> wise words right now definitely um I mean I still can't quite get over this is Honor's first role roles um ahead of this film what um, were the conversations that you were having with her? You, you made the first one. You're into the second now. What were those conversations that you were having as to what you wanted her to bring to this chapter of the film? Uh, well, it's interesting. I don't, when you ask that, I think, well, actually, we didn't have that many conversations in between because Anna went off to Namibia to do volunteer work. And so she was thrust into a whole different situation um, where she was just dealing with the everyday uh, of a very, you know, very challenging situations that she was put in. She was teaching in, in Africa and there were a lot more um, dangerous things to worry about uh, than, than, than making the next film. So she was away for nearly nine months there. So I didn't have any contact with her. I think I had the odd message via her mum how she was doing. And then she came back and I, I was very much, well, I was editing the first one after we finished shooting that, obviously. And then by the time we were preparing the second one, we were promoting the first one, which was a very strange thing to be in this sort of creative bubble. I didn't really want to leave the creative bubble between one and two, but had to in order, you know, the film was coming out, the first one was coming out into the world, so you've got to talk about it. And um, 
and I was I was worried for for myself and also all my collaborators that we would somehow pierce this creative process that we had protected so well making the first one. So I was worried that Honor might become self-conscious or think too much about what she did with part one. And, um, and of course she saw part one before we made part two. So all of this I, w w was a worry to me also for myself to start talking about a film that we were still inside because I see them both very much as one, one project, the two films. So it's, um, yes, I mean, I, I, I think um, by the time then when we got to shoot the second one, uh, actually we all just immersed ourselves into that world. And, and I think we, we've sort of forgot about all the noise outside and Honor was amazing in just picking up from where she left off and continue, continuing to follow the story. Amazing. I mean, so Harris, you were saying, sorry, that you, you hadn't seen the souvenir before you came on board with this one. So what was your in with the character not knowing anything about Tom Burke's character in the first film? Um, well, I, I think it was, I think it was a, a process that happened in the, in, inside the scene as well, you know, that we were encouraged to um, sort of, I mean, Ono had a hard job really because everyone that, surrounded those scenes when she was making the film really challenged her and really put that pressure on her and um you know I didn't know anything about the character I, I was playing but also within the film I didn't have an idea so I had to find out in the scene yeah. and that sort of it made me laugh watching it back because it remind it made me realize how sort of silly like acting can be when you're like <laughs> you know I'm sat there and I'm like really trying to like understand what's like the like meat of this person and it's like so um so silly but uh yeah I guess just through that and and sort of pushing her I wanted to ask you about the music in this film because you're so invested in every element of its creation I mean you lent your clothes to to some of the the costumes that the the cast wore as well, but the music for me tells its own story. And I wanted to know what was the story that you wanted to tell with, I mean, you've got the rhythmics, you've got all these wonderful tunes from the era that don't feel too, it's not Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like these very subtle kind of notions to the era. Like, yeah, what was the story you wanted to tell with that? Well, I guess it was, uh, I wanted to tell the story um, through music uh, or a parallel story through music, but not just music, of the 1980s. So I didn't want to parody that time. I didn't want it to be the greatest hits from the 80s, although there are in the end quite a few 80s tracks, but there's also tracks from the 60s. There's the um, Bartok's opera, Bluebeard. Uh, there's the Small Faces. There's um, soundtrack from the 40s. There's Glenn Miller. So I, because for me, the 1980s in, in trying to sort of remember how I felt in that time, I was very much immersed in other decades. So I was really obsessed with films of the late 30s and early 1940s and music, Hollywood musicals and um, singing in the rain. And so I, uh, I and, and, and then also the 60s and the 70s, because living through the 80s, you think this is really an incredibly uncool decade and I'd rather be in the 70s or the 60s. Um, so you're never happy with the decade that you're in. And I, anyway, I wanted to reflect that feeling of these other times and that it, and there was also a bit of a sort of 40s, 80s thing. 
and then and then the decision that all the tracks all all the songs or music is in, has some personal resonance for me not because i'm interested or anyone else is interested in what i like but but if i i want it to feel i wanted to uh be impressionistic about that decade and have have it give it a character and so the way of doing that was sort of in a, i was the kind of filter to that i have to ask about richard iwadi in this film who if anyone has seen this yet if you've not i it's it's a real creation that you have I, i mean i would just love to know the seed of this character so he's he's the most appalling film director i think is the best way he's incredibly precious of his voice and abrupt and passionate but um really puts poor on us through the ringer quite a lot and I, i'd just love to know a little bit more about that character and also your your working relationship with richard because what he brings to it is is amazing yeah well funnily enough we've just been with richard and lydia his wife and lydia plays his wife uh in both films and so we've actually been talking about the process or they've both been talking about it and 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 uh one thing that's interesting is that Richard and Lydia in being a real life married couple were able to bring so much together in portraying this fictional couple and and um and Richard was saying earlier how how that uh really helped him be the character that he was having his wife not because they were playing the same roles as they do in real life but but there was something uh about uh working together in this way because of course Lydia Fox is an actor as well and um and they it, i mean it's very hard to unpack these things after the event but it's it's an intense process of working together and they both did a lot of research richard did a lot of research into directors from the 1980s um so there was a lot of inspiration not just from british directors but french directors we were both really interested in 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 the director as visionary but also asshole occasionally <laughs> so it um it he had the you know they both had the privilege actually of thinking about the film before we made it and as harris said he was thrown into it in that you were cast just before we made part 2 and also honor was very much before we made part 1 took me a long time to find someone to play that character of Julie and and so honor you know we didn't have the benefit of lots of conversations before but actually I'm not sure if that is a benefit I think there's something about one's got to be much more instinctive and in the moment if you're not thinking and intellectualizing about it too much beforehand Harris we're joining you I mean you've you've got to do some really interesting and and I feel like you carry such agency in the choices with your roles and now you've got this BAFTA nomination as well that's come up as well it, it, a really exciting time in your career i'm wondering what is driving you at this stage and what are you hoping to do moving forward <laughs> just try to get to the end of the day i suppose so <laughs> um, no uh i don't know i'm I, i just feel very lucky that i get to work with people that care about it as much as me you know and and more and and you always you always want to be in in good hands and i think like um that's all i hope for is to continue working with people that i admire and um you know feel feel challenged by as well you know and what is it that joanna brought to your experience that you you'd never experienced before what excited you about working with her um 
Well, I, I, I love improvisation. I really do. That's been like my, the basis of my training. And so I felt comfortable in that. And I felt like there was just the right amount of like fear and, and sort of, uh, you know, the unknown element and, and also being spurred on by that. But uh, I think there's a tendency when you have a script and a character to reach for certain things and, and you're always sort of on set trying to find them and you never quite get there and then you sort of go home and you're like, you know, neurotic about it. But with, um, with Joanna, you know, she really acutely focuses on, on those interactions and the truth of the scenario and it sort of pushes you to be a better performer, I think, because there's nowhere to hide, you know, um, or there's everywhere to uh, hide. I don't know, you know, <laughs> like you, you're just out in the open and, and sometimes that's good because you're exposed to something or you're exposed to a part of yourself that, um, God, I'm getting really deep. I'm like, oh, it's great. I, I didn't mean to be so profound of it, but um, you get what I mean. You, you get what I mean, but... Of course I do. And Joanna, I mean, you've come to the end of this story that is so deeply rooted in reality for yourself. Like, has your relationship with the story changed from when you first set out to make these films? Um, well, I think, well, it's interesting you say that, I, that it's so um, sort of, yeah, I guess you're saying it's sort of deeply connected with my life. And I don't know, uh, yeah, I don't know what to think quite, but I know there's a confusion between a story or real story that I had in the past and this thing that's being created. And I'm not quite sure, yeah, I don't know quite where one begins and one ends. And I'll, I'll look at, for example, a still from the inside of the apartment um, that Julie lives in, in part one and part two. And there's a moment of, that's where I lived. But of course, that's a c construct inside an aircraft hangar. So. <laughs> of course I didn't live there uh, with pigeons flying around. So I, 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 it, it's odd. I think messing with your memories or what you think are your memories is, is, is maybe not always to be recommended. <laughs> well, that's a great final note to end on, to be honest. <laughs> I want to say thank you both so much for coming out. The Souvenir Part 2 is in cinemas now. I implore you to go out and see it. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was Joanna Hogg and Harris Dickinson and Beth Webb, everybody. Now, the guests just keep on coming, folks. Uh, has anyone here listened to our latest spoiler special episode for the Book of Boba Fett? Yeah. Because uh, on that, James Dyer took the notion of a spoiler special far too literally and blurted out the identity of our next guest. <sighs> What's that? Yeah. <laughs> Take the armor. I will, I will ask that. Um, uh, our next guest is a comedian. He is a screenwriter. He is an actor. He is a podcaster. And he is the Emmy-winning star of one of the best shows on TV, Ted Lasso. He is also 100% CGI. <laughs> 
So getting him here was no easy feat. He's here, he's there, he's every fucking where. Brett Goldstein! Brett, on a scale of one to ten. Hello, Hello. Scale of one to ten, that introduction, how would you rate it? Was it good? Because you came over to me saying, oh dear. Oh dear. Um, I feel I've done... The problem with the CGI thing is Mm -hmm. I have no way of proving it's not true. And (laughs) sometimes I wake up, like, I've seen Blade Runner. He doesn't know. Like, I don't think I am, but I also wouldn't know. <laughs> Do you find yourself, like, stuck for hours at one of those capture things? Yeah. You know, tick all the boxes in this, this picture of traffic lights, and you're going, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I might be a robot. It's is hard to tell. Ta- is that a taxi? <laughs> uh, and sometimes I'll, I'll move quickly in the mirror to see if I like, have a trace. Uh, <laughs> So I don't, I don't know. But that is wild. That, and welcome, by the way. How are oh, you? How are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Can we talk uh, about the, the magic spell that you cast on the planet and caused a pandemic? Because <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen you since you did that and you haven't said sorry. Uh, wow. I had Chris Hewitt on uh, my podcast. Don't worry about it. And uh, yes, You're, yes. Films to be buried with. Is, that, is was, that what it is? Uh, I believe it was about 19 months ago. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, uh, oh, oh, any wishes? <laughs> I didn't know I had this power. And he said, I just wish the world would stop for a year so I could catch up on all the films I need to see. Yeah, that's right, it was me. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? Uh, where was that lab? Uh, anyway. Yeah, so well this, this is... Listen... It's just a coincidence. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I had nothing to do with, with COVID-19. Yeah. And, and also the, uh, the, the, the joke's on me because I have not got caught up on films. Uh, if anything, <laughs> I'm even busier. Oh, no, he's so, asking for another pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let him out. <laughs> All I'm saying is we just yeah. need a two-year break. Okay. Like a soft reset <laughs> is all I'm saying. Right. And then we're good to go. Okay. I'm not saying that you know, millions of people should die or anything. No, you didn't say that last time. No. Um, you insinuated it. No. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the unspoken subtext was, yeah, yeah. was there. But, but yeah, welcome back. How long have you been back in, in London? Oh, three days. Three days? Yes. All right. Are you getting to grips with everything? Do you know where everything is? Have you forgotten what, yes, what London looks like? I've remembered the major landmarks. Um, <laughs> Buckingham Palace. There as they were. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to be back. Uh, I've been in uh, in America uh, writing season three of Ted Lasso. Um, it's exciting. With, with the other writers. Does he die in the end? Um, I can't spoil it, but let's just say it's very much an ending. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means, but what is it? Does he ex- too much. Does he explode? Uh, Brett, does Ted Lasso explode? I can't say anymore. I've said too much. Yeah. We have to have changed the script. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in big fucking trouble. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it's fine. It's like, you okay. know, Brett, when you went on the podcast and insinuated that Ted Lasso explodes. <laughs> I think we're okay. Yeah. But, uh, but it's, so you've been in the States yeah. going through the whole Emmy situation. Yes. Yeah. Congratulations on that, by the thanks way. Thanks very much. Did Thank you bring you. it with you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks. Thanks very, thanks very much. Thanks. Um, I don't know if, I, if you know, like, the, the, the thing about the Emmys was, if you want to know, is, uh, <laughs> uh, is that, you know, it's live on TV and you're really, it's a big fucking deal to, you know, I've never been to something like this. It's a big deal, big deal for all of us. We're all very nervous. And we sit down and then, and I don't know where any of the cameras are, I can't see anything. And then uh, Cedric, the entertainer, who's the host, suddenly comes on, like the show has started, and with loads of dancers, and comes towards us, and people start dancing, and all I thought was, <laughs> fucking hell, am I meant to dance? Like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, bad enough, like, I'm nervous, now I've got to dance? Like, uh, what is happening? It was awful. <laughs> very grateful, very lucky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, your speech was excellent. Thank you. Uh, did you have it memorised, or was that extemporaneous? Uh, I hadn't, I hadn't, uh, prepared one and then in the car coach beard said to me you should probably have a think about it just in case uh but i had just repeatedly been told not to swear and so i knew i knew that would happen <laughs> I knew, I knew there was a, an inevitability to it all yeah yeah but the success of ted lasso must must be i, I guess beyond your wildest dreams has it how That's much has I it changed your life the last time we spoke you did say it had changed your life i mean it has it it it, it, it has it has changed my life I mean, it's extraordinary. I, I think it's like a once in a lifetime, you know, for all of us. Like, it's like, it's like you've, I don't think it happens much, this sort of thing. And also none of us uh, planned for it, truly. Like, I, I've said this before, and I'm sorry if you've heard me say this, but it is really true that all of us thought no one would watch this show. <laughs> like, we made it with love in our heart. But like Apple wasn't a thing. I mean, it was a thing, but it wasn't a TV thing. <laughs> and like, what is this Apple? Yeah, and uh, you know, and and, I, and on the last day of filming, when I said goodbye to Jason Sudeikis, who plays Ted Lasso, who explodes in the end, he, um, <laughs> like, we said to we said to each other, I said like, he, it was like really special the last day of filming season one, and we we were like, he said to me, something happened here, right? Something happened, and I was like, yeah, something happened, and. And if no one sees it, it doesn't matter. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And that was like the last thing we said to each other, thinking, and no one will see this. Um, <laughs> so it is fucking wild. Yeah, because it is on, on Apple. Uh, you do have to subscribe. Can you lend me four pounds a month? <laughs> Basically, I'm trying to shake down everyone on stage yeah, here yeah, for some cash. That's fair. Yeah, times are tight, Brad. What, what can I say? But there did seem to be a wave a building wave yeah. from the outside looking in that it, it, you know, it hit Apple TV and nothing happened for a while. Yeah. Yeah. As expected in the beginning, it went to plan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in the beginning, the plan was solid. No one watched and We were comfortable with that. And, uh, and then some little scallywags <laughs> got their beady eyes on it. <laughs> you fuckers. And told their friends, <laughs> uh, furious, uh, yeah, no, and it was a slow bit. I think we, we were halfway through writing season two before people started, like, saying they liked it. But, but that, they've been very quiet. <laughs> <about it. laughs> 
Yeah, quite, quite like that. Yeah. Third lesson. Have you seen yeah. Third Lesson? It's all right. Seen, yeah, it's good. Have you heard yeah. about Third Lesson? What about that? Have you got Apple? Yeah. Do you know how to get Apple? Yeah. It's like four, four, it's like four, four ninety nine. I got a fucking I'm not buying that. No. Have you heard it? I can get a cheeky legal that. stream. Do you want a legal stream? Yeah, what is it? <laughs> well, he's like an American in the, in the, it sounds stupid. Yeah, no, it sounds stupid, but then you watch it, it's quite good. <laughs> so it's, it's Americans doing football. Yeah, no, but uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like I've seen football shit. It's shit. <laughs> no, trust me. Give it a go. That's what happened. Uh, <laughs> That was exactly what happened in, in, in homes all around the country. But, but also another thing that began to happen, which was that Roy Kent began to really catch on and really, you know, um, he captured the hearts of a nation, which is strange for a man who says fucking a lot. Uh, yeah. Was, <laughs> was, yeah. <laughs> at what point did you realize that that was, sorry about the uh, C word, by the way. Um, at what sorry. point did you realize? Sorry, I've been in America. You're not allowed to say it. It's such a relief. Really? Yeah. Honestly, I, <laughs> ah, I'm home. Ah. <laughs> Finally, someone casually saying, I feel so much better. <laughs> oh, I missed it. I when you missed went through, you, England. When you went through customs, welcome back, yeah. sir. Anything to declare? You're a <laughs> <laughs> I've really classed up your podcast, haven't I? <laughs> um, what was the question? I've no idea. Uh, I've no idea. Uh, Roy, Roy Kent. Roy Kent. When did you know that? He I'll was tell you what on? is embarrassing. Like you can see, I'm wearing all black. I always wear all black. This is how I dress. The reason Roy Kent wears all black is because I fucking have no interest in clothes. <laughs> and and whenever uh, uh, you you do an acting job, the costume person will say like, "What do you imagine for your character?" And I'll always go, "This. I don't care." <laughs> and um, so I dress like Roy, Roy Kent dresses like me. I dress like Roy Kent. It's not, it's not like a thing. It just, it, it, I'm lazy. And, um, and in America on Halloween, you know, they take that as seriously as not saying the C word. And, uh, and my friend was at a thing and said, oh, come and join us at this thing. And it was quite late. And I just was like leaving work. So I was dressed in black with a, with a black cap. And I walked into this party where there were a lot of people dressed as Roy Kent. And, uh, and they, so what would happen is people, a Roy Kent would look across the room at me, see that out and go like, oh, a Roy Kent, then see my face and go, have you fucking come dressed as yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I felt like such a dickhead. I was like, oh, I kept, no, this is, I mean, I didn't think about it. Obviously I should be wearing pink. This is awful. <laughs> so you haven't, uh, you know, used this newfound, I, I imagine riches, because you're getting paid like $10 million oh, in episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm on 40. Just kind of, seriously, Brad, can you lend me four ninety nine a month to buy Apple TV? I mean, honestly, man. <laughs> Let's talk about it after. All right, good. Um, uh, and you haven't improved yourself sartorially in any way, shape, or form. Um, I'm not judging you. I'm just, no, I'm just making a statement. Point? I mean, <laughs> it, 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 uh, you know, doing. Uh, listen, I'm very grateful for all the things, but it doesn't make me like clothes more. <laughs> it has well, a baby go oh now I'm interested the feel uh, of a nice pair of tailored shoes but what's wrong with Marks and Spencer's <laughs> pants <laughs> they, they make a lovely pant they do <laughs> I do love their autograph range no way courses <laughs> check it <laughs> fuck it <hell. laughs> I take it all oh, back dear. I take a look. Like, look yeah. I'm wearing a Star Wars T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly Jeff Banks. Yeah. I don't know why he's always my go-to for fashion, but he's like, he's like a hundred. Jeff Banks. Jeff Banks. I would really love to. Yes, Andrew, but I don't know who that is. 
He's a fashion man. Uh, well, they, exactly. I'm, I'm on brand. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, if anyone who listened to that episode of <laughs> Films to Be Buried With, which yeah. is an amazing podcast, and Brett is still yeah, doing. Like, thank you. And it's got incredible guests on there. It's so funny that I'm on that podcast. You're amazing. Since, since I've been on, you've had yeah. Sharon Stone, yes. Barry Jenkins, yes. the Pope. Yes. It's, it's been incredible. The only reason the Pope would do it is because you'd done it. <laughs> <laughs> when I emailed him, I said, look, Chris Hewitt's done it. He went, oh, all right, fair enough. <laughs> That's legitimized it. Yep. And his email address is still thepope at AOL.com. Yeah, pope at thepope.com. Yeah. <laughs> so Brett is yeah. uh, still doing this podcast. And um, whenever I was on the podcast, we talked about how we met, which was Superbob. Yes. Which is an incredible film. If you've never seen Superbob, which is a film, a superhero comedy that Brett wrote and starred in, directed by John, uh, John Draver. And it is an amazing, amazing film. Um, have people been discovering it in the wake of they, Roy they Kent? Have. And look, I, again, I'm sure if you've ever heard me talk about Chris Hewitt, you'll have heard me say this, but I truly think a lot of my career is because of Chris Hewitt, because Chris Hewitt supported Super Bob, which was Then give me four ninety nine a month! <laughs> Listen, I, I didn't say it was worth that amount, but... <laughs> Listen, I'd say because of Chris, I get to keep wearing autographed T-shirts. So that's uh, from Mark Spencer. But um, he was so supportive of Super Bob in a way that was mind-blowing and really like, uh, I'll tell you, you, you ever seen that thing you do? The, the film, Tom Hanks film and they're a band and the first time they hear their song on the radio, the day Empire Magazine came out and there was a four-star review of Super Bob, was that it was like me and me and the director called each other and it was like one of the best days of our lives you know, it was really fucking beautiful so i'm really grateful to you yes ah. yes ah. yeah go on <laughs> how much you need 4.99 4.99 uh, yeah, yeah go yeah. on <laughs> I'll fend you I'll fend you my PayPal is that, is that how it works I've no yeah. idea how it works but it's an incredible film and you should check it out definitely and you're about to go into filming season 3 now of Ted yes. Lasso yeah. <laughs> the exploding lasso yes yes what happens to Roy Kent uh, he um, is killed by some of the shrapnel from the exploding Ted <laughs> But much slower death. It's quite gruesome. And I mean, the, the finale is bleak. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You should have got me into the writing room. Then. <laughs> it's like pandemic here, explosion there. Yeah. It's, all, it's all good. Uh, and you're still doing the podcast. Yes. The, uh, who's the next guest? Mm. Oh, do you know, I've, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm actually, I've got fucking um, Mark Frost of Twin Peaks. No way. Yeah coming up I mean I'm very excited about that is I, it recorded I haven't recorded it yet so I've probably jinxed it now and it's probably going to go away you've ruined it <laughs> uh, no I'm very excited about that that is amazing well yeah. look forward to that look forward to Ted Lasso season 3 look forward to 4 a month being Fenmode to my PayPal <laughs> please give it up for the one the only Brett Goldstein everybody thank you guys that was really fun thank you Give me two seconds. 
just checking who our next guest is. There's so many out the back, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, dear. What was it they said in Ocean's Eleven? You think we need one more? You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. Feels like that tonight. Uh, to interview this guest, because again, I'm stepping off the stage for a little bit. Uh, please welcome the one, the only. I'm on Warman, everybody. <laughs> Microphone. <laughs> it was a very Hello, complicated mime, wasn't it? It was like <laughs> pointing different chairs. Uh, all right, so our next guest is a rising star and then some. There are a number of great debut performances in cinematic history. Her performance as Maria in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story can absolutely be added to the pantheon if you ask me. You'll soon see her in Shazam. I like doing that. Fury of the Gods and as a title character in Snow White. But tonight, tonight. <laughs> You'll see her on stage right here at King's Place for the 500th episode of the Empire Podcast. Please welcome the incredible Rachel Segler! That reception was very deserved, and I that love it. So <laughs> insane! I've never in in a million years. That thank you guys. It's so good to be here. So good to see all your faces. Hi. <laughs> so <laughs> that was also the best intro I've ever had. There was singing involved. Someone remembered to mention Shazam, which for some reason everyone's just kind of like, we don't talk about Shazam. <laughs> so. Oh, I got questions Hi. about Shazam. Hello. <laughs> Uh, when I learned I was going to be interviewing you, I started singing the songs to West Side Story. Yeah. I've been singing the songs to West Side Story all day. <laughs> so sorry. How? No, no I've don't been, apologize. I've been the singing them for four years. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, how, how, once you finish filming, did the songs ever get out of your head? How long did it take to get them out of your head? No, it's to the point where my boyfriend and I will text each other and be like, so this is the one that's in my head today. Like voice memos on our phones just being like, yeah, so the dance break from cool for some reason. <laughs> Neither of us are in the number cool, but for some reason, you know, like uh, I have to say it's never left my brain. But also I did the show when I was 16 years old on stage in like amateur theater in New Jersey. And, and it's been literally four years of just I feel pretty <laughs> constantly in my brain. Awesome. So normally an actor, especially an actor in their first role, they only have to worry about acting. You've got to act, you've got to sing, you've got to dance. Sometimes you're doing all of that at the same time. Breathe fire. <laughs> you left out breathe fire. I breathe fire. <laughs> what was the easiest aspect of the role to get a handle on? I think it was probably, it had to be the singing because that's what I, I knew I could do. That's what I knew I brought to the table in the audition room. I was like, I, I pro looking Steven Spielberg in the eyes, being like, I promise you, no one can sing this shit the way that I can, <laughs> which is so. <laughs> 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 I 
<laughs> I mean, it was one of those things where I was like, this is what I know I bring to the table. Um, you know, I'm a stage actor. So it was a lot, uh, it was a huge transition acting wise to all of a sudden be not thinking about the last person in the last row, but thinking about the first person in the first row, seeing my face 15 feet by 15 feet. And, and all of a sudden realizing that they can tell if you're lying and being like, well, I better do a good job. And then with the dancing, I'm not a dancer. And mm. I was faced with Justin Peck, who choreographs the New York City Ballet, telling me what to do. And I was like, <laughs> uh, but he took care of me, made me look like I knew what I was doing. And I would just sit in our rehearsals and just marvel at like, Ariana DeBose and David Alvarez just like killing it on the daily. Yeah. And what was the most challenging aspect of the role for you? The, the pressure. I think everyone who found out that we were making this movie immediately thought that there was no way it was going to be any good. <laughs> who are these people? <laughs> who are these people? Yeah. Exactly. But it was also just like, I, I don't know. When I found out they were making West Side Story, my initial response wasn't, why would they do that? It was just kind of, that's really exciting. I hope they, they get things right that they haven't in the past. And you assume that the reason that it's being made again is to do that and to right those wrongs and to, to make those corrections where they can be and improve where you can, you know, talent wise and, and, and make something really special. And so I think it was the pressure. It was the inevitable comparison to Natalie Wood, who is just incredible. And, and she played an iconic role and made the role iconic and everybody loves her. But that, that was something that just weighed on my shoulders every day was like, we're not trying to be better. We're just trying to be. And, and that was all in itself a Herculean task. And I'm, I'm really grateful that we were able to do it and we were able to be received so well. Absolutely. Um, the one thing about Maria as well, there's a lot of singing involved, but there's not that much dancing. Mm. Was that a relief for you or were you a little bit jealous? Uh, no, I was relieved. <laughs> Absolutely relieved. Uh, I mean, Josh Rivera plays Chino and I would spend days and days and days at the dance at the gym rehearsals and be like, well, thank God we don't have to do any of that. <laughs> like, and we would just watch all of these people in 106 degree Fahrenheit days in New York City burning through the soles of their shoes and being like, oh God. <laughs> sounds rough. No, I mean, it was, but you know, we had our own things to deal with. We had to point a gun at each other at the end of the film. Like that, that was, that was hard too. And, um, no, but I was definitely relieved that I didn't have to dance too much. Cause I am not a dancer. Nobody would have wanted, nobody would have paid to see that. <laughs> I would have. <laughs> <laughs> so were you on set for the uh, America numbers or the rumble numbers? Because those are iconic and they looked incredible. I was not. And I, I wasn't because I, uh, America was the hottest days on record yeah. summertime of 2019 in New York. That was the hottest that it got in the city. And I was like, I'm good. You, you, you guys be blessed. You twirl in your pretty skirts. Um, the rumble, I was advised not to come. Really? Why? Steven Spielberg at first was like, Oh, we're going to do the rumble this week. You should come. And then, uh, I was like, but David Alvarez is going to get stabbed. And I don't want to see that. He was like my brother in real life. David is who plays Bernardo. My brother in the film is like my brother in real life. And I was like, I don't think I want to see anyone get stabbed ever, <laughs> but like particularly not David Alvarez. And he was like, oh, no, 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 you're right. You're right. You should stay home. So I was advised to not come. <laughs> Fair enough. So I want to compare and contrast what 
you knew about Maria going in mm. to how you felt about the character having walked the mountain in her shoes and actually sort of acted it out. Yeah. Um, how did your perception of Maria change and did it deepen in any way? I absolutely, it absolutely deepened. And I think that was mostly because Tony Kushner wrote a completely different character. It was a character that that had a lot more depth and a lot more agency in, in comparison to the original Shakespearean text and then every other iteration of Romeo and Juliet since. And in particular, West Side Story, he just, he was very insistent in collaborating with me on writing an 18-year-old girl. And I was 18 when we actually started principal photography. And so getting to bring that aspect deepened my my understanding of her choices, because I think the biggest criticism people have of a character like Maria is the choices she makes, particularly in act two of the musical, because she she just leads with her heart. And it's not always the wisest decision. And she gets into arguments with the people she loves the most because she's followed her heart. And so I found a, a really deep understanding for her in the way that her mind and her heart operated separately and together. And that was really, really due to Tony Kushner's brilliant script. Absolutely. So you mentioned Natalie Wood there, who played with me previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got Carol Lawrence, who uh, played her in the original Broadway. Yes. Um, if you could watch your 2021 version with them and there's a scene that comes to mind that you just want to ask them what their perspective of that was. Yeah. Is there anything that comes to mind? Well, I will say Carol Lawrence saw the film uh, at the LA premiere. She was sitting three rows behind me. And wow. uh, I, I saw her, we took like photos together on the red carpet. That was my first time meeting her. She was really sweet and very eccentric and just so happy to be there. And um, after the, you know, the premiere, there was an after party and I guess she was there and I missed her and I was on my way home and I get a FaceTime call from one of my friends who was still at the party and I answer the phone and it's her. (laughs) She tracked down this person she knew I was friends with and was like, I need you to FaceTime Rachel Zegler right now. (laughs) And she gave me her stamp of approval, which was really cool because I, I, you know, we don't have Natalie Wood here to give her stamp of approval, but I will say her daughter saw it. Natasha. And she was very complimentary. I think if I was, if I did have the ability to watch it with both of them on either side of me, I think a boy like that would be really important for me to ask Mm. what they thought about it and how they navigated justifying what Maria is singing about versus what Anita is singing about. And I, I think that could, that would be a really, really interesting podcast for sure. I want to listen to that. (laughs) That sounds amazing. So you mentioned your theatre background earlier. If you Mm -hmm. could pick one scene from this movie to perform on stage, what would it be? A boy like that. (laughs) It's a boy like that I have a love. It's so, I mean, it's it's an incredible behemoth piece that Leonard Bernstein wrote. And I think notes that are borderline impossible for people to sing in the heat of the moment with all of the emotion and all of the tension. Um, but I just think it's so cool. Every time I've seen it live, every time I've heard it live, it's just broken me open in a way that I didn't, I didn't even think was possible. So I, I would love to do, and I would love to do it with Ariana live on stage. Yes. Yeah. There's so many things that I want yeah. to say. This is really great. Um, so I want to take it back a little bit to the whole Steven Spielberg of it all. Who's I know a, that guy. Director who's made a few films, I think. Yeah. You know, you had to hear first, he's going to go on to do really good things. Promising um, <laughs> career ahead for this <laughs> Steven guy. <laughs> but how long did it take for you to go from the Steven Spielberg to just, you know, Steve 
guy from work. It was immediate. It was it was immediate love between the two of us, and it was and he was very much of a call me Stephen type guy. <laughs> when people say like Mr. Spielberg, he's like. That was weird. <laughs> and I remember like in my, I wrote him a very long thank you note where I was like, Steven Spielberg, thanks so much. And, all, and he just thought it was so funny that I called him by his full name because he doesn't like it. Um, so it was, it was immediate. I have to say it was immediate when I met him. I met him six months into my audition process and it was just this instinct that this was somebody that was going to be very important and very influential to me in my life. And yeah. if he hadn't already been with, you know, his, his classic films that made me love what I get to do for a living. But like, he's very inviting in that way. Strangers who meet him on the street, he's very much call me Steven. So, you know, he's, he's a, a real person. <laughs> awesome. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite Spielberg? Lincoln. Ooh, it's a good choice. <laughs> Everybody just went, mm, yeah. And when I told him that, I told him that, and he was like, you were 11 when that came out? I was like, yeah. And he was like, Tony, T Tony Kushner, Tony, the youngest Lincoln fan. <laughs> I wear the crown. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so I want to talk really quickly about a couple of the films you got coming, uh, coming, out, coming out very soon in the next cool. couple of years, including Snow White, which I think uh, you're about to get ready to film. What can we expect? From that. Oh my gosh, so much magic. It's, <laughs> a, it's literally just the most magical time on that set, even in rehearsals and the different changes we're making and what we're doing to bring it to a 20, whenever the movie freaking comes out, who knows? With my trajectory, 2039, <laughs> um, to a 2039 audience, a Snow White that is for the modern age. And, and um, it's less about someday my prince will come and more about someday I'll be able to rule a kingdom with confidence and courage. And, mm. um, and I really love that. And I think it's going to be really important for young people to see that and see mm. a women in a, a women in a position of power. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, oh. yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and you're working with Gal Gadot uh, yeah. in that film. Uh, you have also uh, just joined the DC Cinematic Universe with Shazam yes. Fury of the Gods, but how, have you and Gal been exchanging notes about being a super, I guess? I'm not going to say much, but, <laughs> but we have. <laughs> I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to say much, um, but this was not our first time meeting. So this was really, oh, really? really cool. And, um, and I just, I really ad adore um, the fact that we get to make this movie together. And she's got so many cool, fresh ideas for what an evil queen really looks like um, mm -hmm. in the sense of like, you know, when you're making the comparison, what does it mean to be the fairest of them all? And that's mm -hmm. really at the core of our film. And so uh, listening to her ideas and what she wants to bring to the character is mm -hmm. so fascinating. And so, um, yeah, but she's, I mean, she's a badass. She's a badass. She plays badass women for a living. <laughs> it's really cool to watch. Yes. Speaking of badass women, oh, I love the segue. You're working with Dame Helen Mirren in Shazam Fear of the Gods. Yeah. Uh, what has that experience been like? Oh my God, she's my big sister. Um, <laughs> it's really cool, actually. I mean, I was very, it was like, Rachel, you can't tell anyone who you're playing in Shazam Fury of the Gods. I was like, okay, kept it a secret. Helen Mirren told the Associated Press and I was like, well, <laughs> good. I mean, if anyone was going to do it, it might as well have been the dame who can't get in trouble for it. Um, yeah. 
No, I mean, she's, she's the best. She's the best. Her and Lucy Liu and myself, we had the most fun over the summer. We went shopping. She bought me a pair of jeans. And then um, she tried to pay the check on her birthday. We, <laughs> Lucy and I took her out for sushi. And she, we had to wrestle the check out of her hands. And then she told everyone on set that we got her drunk on sake. <laughs> because we paid <laughs> but she's the best and I love and we had so much fun working together um, and I and I hope someday in some other world we get to do it again absolutely absolutely can't wait to see Shazam Thanks. can't wait to see Snow White Thanks. congratulations on West Side Story ladies and gentlemen give it up Rachel Ziegler bye y'all thank you <laughs> You think we need one more? <laughs> you think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. Uh, everyone there? We all good? We're all good? Yeah, 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 I'll, I'll introduce you in a second. Please welcome. It's Helen, Helen's here. Oh God, there's too much water on this stage. What a surprise, yeah. That's absolutely right. Please welcome, oh God, our penultimate guest. One of our favorite directors, the director of all six episodes of the wonderful Loki. Will you please welcome Kate Herring? Hello. Honestly. Honestly, we're not prepared. There are two. There are too many microphones on this stage now. I don't know what's happening. It's fine. It's okay. It's I'm okay. going to obsess with that. Whilst I'm obsessing with that, you guys chat amongst yeah. yourselves. Well, <laughs> I, I, I want to ask the most important question first. Your dog, Potato, you know, adjusting to the UK, how's that going? It's not going great, guys. I'm not going to lie. Like, oh, no. He likes to sunbathe because um, it was really hot in America and it's really cold here. So he's not doing well. Oh, no. He's not doing well, I'm afraid. Yeah. No. What can, we, yeah. what can we do? What can we do to help? <laughs> I think he needs potato. like what they call it, like the, a sad lamp or something, something to make him feel happier. But yeah, I mean, he'll be fine. This might be going down <laughs> the same road as the, you know, I was responsible for the whole pandemic thing from earlier. But what I'm hearing from you is basically we need to exaggerate the effects of global warming pretty damn quickly <laughs> so the potato will feel at home. I mean, it would help, yeah. It would okay, help. so if anyone has any aerosol sprays, if you can just like absolutely just Again, let that shit lawyer, go outside. I'm just gonna say no on that. No to aerosol sprays. That you always say no to I aerosol know, I sprays. Do, I do do that, yeah, that's okay. true. Okay, yeah. all right, whatever. So, anyway. so, right, have we all seen Loki? Has anyone not seen Loki? Oh, I'm so sorry. We'll try to avoid like outright like yeah, we're not gonna telling like, you the ending. Aunt May doesn't die in Loki. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, but you know, what's the reaction to the show like? Is it what you expected? Have, you know, did it come as a shock or, or were you kind of like, okay, this is what I thought? Oh, wow. No, I mean, it's, it's been so nice. I think obviously like when you make something, you hope people are gonna like it. Like me and the team were really proud of what we did and, but you just don't know until it goes out into the world really. So no, I, I think it was not so much a shock, but more just like a nice surprise. Cause we were, like I said, we were already proud of the story and excited about it. I think the thing that was most exciting was because we released week to week 
And obviously I know what happens in the story. So it was really fun watching people like theorize, like, could this be what's happening? Could this be who's behind the TVA? So that was yeah, the hardest secret us, to yeah. keep. <laughs> yeah. And just lying to everyone yes, that I knew basically for weeks. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> what, was, what was the eureka moment whilst breaking the show? What was the mm. moment where you thought, okay, we're, we're done now. We've, we've had a breakthrough. We can take the afternoon off. Oh, um, so when I joined, I remember something that we definitely, cause they basically, they'd done a writer's room and then we did like a second one when I joined, but I remember something that we did later down the line. So like Wumi for B15, like her character, like, so that character in its original version, it just wasn't quite, I don't know, the character we were like, we just want to do something with this character. And she'd read for the role um, and she was so good. And we basically retailored that entire role around her performance and around her read. Oh, wow. So I think that was a big one was like reworking that character's arc also, and then building in, you know, that everyone at the TVA was a variant because there were points where that wasn't the case. So I think that was a big breakthrough. But yeah, I would say Wumi definitely, like, because that was kind of later in the day that we were like, she's so good, let's cast her, but let's, because it was originally written as like a guy that role and it was very different. So huh? yeah, so that was like a big thing just because she was so, yeah, she's amazing. So yeah. Amazing. Do you remember the drinking song? Like, can you now go out of a night? And sing in Old Norse about beer or, or plum brandy, I think it was. Figgy Port. Figgy Port, Figgy I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so filming that was really weird because basically we recorded everyone else singing along with him much later in post. And it's a, like my editor is singing in it and my assistant. And like I promised them, I was like, we'll replace your voices. But they're still in the show <laughs> like, <laughs> quite prominently. But they, they were good. But yeah, but no, but it was quite funny because Tom was singing and like because of COVID, obviously, they, the people we had with him couldn't sing because it wasn't safe. So it was kind of like this weird, you know, when you watch like music videos and they take out this, and they do sound effects of like footsteps and stuff like that. It was a bit like that filming it. Like Tom's like doing this, like it's this big, like, you know, kind of really fun evening, but everyone's like doing that, you know, <laughs> it was quite weird. It's an even better actor than I thought. That sounds mm -hmm. horrific, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> had, he, had he at any point in the opening days of the show, had he forgotten how to play Loki? Because it had been it had been a couple of years, I guess, you know. So did you have to like steer him along? No, Tom, he doesn't. He doesn't have a high pitched voice like that. <laughs> I think something we definitely spoke about a lot. Because I think the weird thing for him uh, was that obviously he was going back to Avengers Loki, yeah, and that was like ten years ago. So I think that's something. Me and him, there were certain scenes when we were filming it. I would reference that film, and I'd be like, go more towards that, go away from this, because obviously he's had such an amazing arc over the last ten years. So. I think we definitely did talk a lot about Avengers for sure. And we'd use that as a touch point, particularly also because when you're making TV, you could be filming a scene from like the end of the show in the morning and then the beginning in the afternoon. So I think that was, yeah, definitely me and him always checking in about like, where is our Loki? <laughs> but also like, yeah, I think it was definitely unusual for him going back to something yeah. he did 10 years ago for sure. And, you know, I don't know if you know, but Kate has, you know, before she, she, she did Loki and things like sex education as well, but you were incredibly prolific in terms of making short films. Are you still <laughs> going to do that? Uh, you know, is that something that, you know, at the weekend, you can, I'll just make a short, just, you know, keep my hand in. It's that easy, is it? It's that, it's that easy. <laughs> it's that easy to make a short. Wow. But it's genuinely inspirational, I think. You know, there are lots of yeah. people, perhaps in the audience, trying to break into filmmaking. And I think you show the way. These, these, these self-funded shorts are incredible. I can only think of, 
But it's such a cringe comparison, though. But it's like, it's like Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> like, but like, but he genuinely, I love that he goes and makes all these like home videos with like actors he's friends with. So I'd love mm. to do that. I think that'd be really fun. Like, mm. you know, just like make a stupid film with some actors like on the weekend. Yeah, that sounds great. But no, I, I would not be anti-making another short film. I think it would have to be if I wanted to try out a concept or yeah, or if it, or if it was like, probably more so now if I was like, I guess like workshopping a character maybe with an actor and I was like, oh, let's just film something and see if it, you know, how it plays before we like go and do that in a bigger way maybe. Yeah. And, and what are you working on at the moment? Can you tell us anything about what's been, what you've been <laughs> up to since Loki? Um, I can't say <laughs> what I'm doing. first, I suppose. But. Um, I suppose like, what am I allowed to say? So I can say that I have written a comic book and that comes out in April, but I can't say who with. Um, so Will you be able to say near the time? <laughs> there's a comic book coming out um, and I'm writing something at the moment. Yeah, basically later in the year, hopefully I'll be able to talk about what I'm doing. <laughs> Mysterious. <laughs> the NDAs are very real. So <laughs> like, Terrifying, aren't they? But uh, in terms of the arena, you know, what sort of genres are you, are you looking to explore going forward? Oh, I think honestly for me, like I love sci-fi. I'm like a, a big, big fan of sci-fi, like across all of it. Like I love it. Um, but yeah, I think I generally tend to like lean in genre. Like I love horror. I love sci-fi um, adventure. I'm just listing genres now, but like, <laughs> I'm like everything. But yeah, I think probably something similar to Loki, right? Like, cause like, I think I obviously like, I'm going to write what I do next. And I like stuff like Loki where, you know, you can play in like a big sci-fi adventure, but then you get to infuse that with heart, like, or romance or comedy, you know, I think something that's a kind of a, I don't want to say like a big mess of stuff, but like a big mix of things, <laughs> an organized mess. <laughs> a melange. Yeah. Uh, because it, it, it's a really, you know, specific decision, I guess, on your part to mm-hmm. not come back for Loki season two. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about that at all? What, what, what prompted mm-hmm. that decision for you? Yeah, no, I think I was just, I was so excited, obviously, to do the first season. Because obviously when I did the first season, we were just that story. And I, I poured everything I had into it. But I think for me, the bigger thing is that I am a writer and I really want to write what I do next. Because I always inevitably end up tangled quite a lot in story anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it just, to be honest, just felt like the next right challenge for me that me and my writing partner we go out then and make something from our brains hopefully so that's the plan <laughs> but yeah amazing it's a good plan it's a yeah good plan. Mm-hmm. it's a good plan well i was literally just because you're in sci-fi very selfishly any recommendations any books you've read recently that that stood out any you know favorite films oh. i should i might not have seen I'm reading Gideon the Ninth and I really like that Me book. too. It's like really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I haven't finished it, but that's great. So I recommend that. Um, <laughs> what else have I been watching? Uh, do you know what? I've just been going back to the classics. Like I've seen the thing, like, I mean, I watch that film like every month, but I watched that two days ago. So I'm assuming everyone here has probably seen the thing, but if you yeah. haven't, check if, it out. If you, have, yeah. if you haven't, get out. Yeah. <laughs> and May does die in the thing, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, but no, I just, for the script I'm writing right now, I'm watching a lot of sci-fi. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That's <laughs> all I'm watching. Interesting. <laughs> Kate Heron is remaking the thing. You heard it here first. 
No, I could never. No, she's not remaking the thing. Okay, all right. Sacred text. You should remake the thing they made with Jeremy Renner (laughs) and um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. You should make that one instead. Not Jeremy Renner, Joel Edgerton. Oh, the prequel. Yeah, they're interchangeable. (laughs) 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 Russian dolls. Anyway, (laughs) I'm going to stop talking now. Uh, (laughs) Before I get the trouble, Big Renner is going to come down on me hard. Oh, my word. Um, (laughs) Well... That's a very different kind of Avengers movie. That's it is uh, wow. quite the way to go. I'm <laughs> just gonna I'm just gonna finish by asking just one last that. question. Mm-hmm. Owen Wilson's mustache. Mm-hmm. Real? Not real? Real. Yeah, it's his. That's commitment. Yeah, he grew it. Yeah. I don't believe you. It promised. Yeah, he had like obviously a wig, but no, the mustache was it was him. He grew so, it. At the end of the day, he would go, wow, and just take off <laughs> Do you know the what? wig. He would some, one, sometimes he'd come out and hang out on set, obviously, and he wouldn't be in the Mobius outfit. And it kind of wigged me out a bit because I was so used to seeing him with like the silver hair and everything. Yeah. And then I'd be like, oh, it's Owen Wilson. Which <laughs> is like, <laughs> like so stupid. Cause, yeah, but anyway, but I wasn't used to seeing him with, you know, the classic blonde hair and everything. But anyway. Did he yeah. say wow when you were hearing him? Was it amazing? I think he once said it on set in passing. And I remember me and my producer just looked at each other like this. Like, oh my God, this happened. That's but also it. like, be cool, be cool, be cool. Uh, you know. Be cool, he might say it again. Yeah. You never know. Uh, anyway, on that note, uh, I'm afraid that's all the time we have. We have got to let you go running into the night. Please give it up for the amazing Kate Heron, everybody. See, what happens is, just to pull back the curtain a little bit, is that we're, we have monitors backstage and we're meant to be watching those monitors to know when the next guest is ready to go on. But I think everyone's just talking to each other, so I'm not entirely sure that our next guest is ready. He is ready. Oh, this is amazing. This is very, very exciting. Oh, what a lineup. You think we need one more? You think we need one more? All right. We'll get one more. Uh, please welcome to interview our final guest for the evening, Ben Travis. <laughs> Whatever you want. Just grab a mic, Ben. Hello. Grab a mic. Choose a chair. I think I'm middle. Middle? Is that, is that wild? Okay, but move that mic. Otherwise, I'll you might have a nasty accident. Much. Maneuvering. Although our next guest would be very, very well first in dealing with such matters, <laughs> I think. Oh, oh. Is it a doctor? Is it a nurse? Is it Aunt May? No, Aunt May is dead. Spoilers. Did you hear the Tom Holland interview? <laughs> I mean, come on. Anyway, I'm not doing this interview because there's a chance I might sustain a nasty injury during the course of it. Uh, because our next guest is an icon, a legend, an actor, a writer, a producer, and a pioneer in the on-screen depiction of pain. He is back, back, back with the old gang in Jackass Forever, which opened in cinemas yesterday. Please welcome the author of all Steve-O's pain, the king of the jackasses, Johnny Knoxville! 
Thank you. I can't believe I get to reverse your famous line and start this by saying, hi, I'm Ben Travis. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be in London. Bless you, people. Thank you so much for coming out here. I was terrified coming out here because I saw uh, Jackass Forever yesterday. It was an absolute riot. It was a proper hoot. And uh, oh, every you. time I'm like sitting on something, I'm like, is there, I don't know, some kind of like mechanism under here? Am I going to go flying? Yeah, yeah, you're safe. Like we don't, I, I don't prank civilians. <laughs> I did that to one of my friends who wasn't part of the Jackass crew and he just couldn't take it. And it really <laughs> upset him and... and and I felt like a monster. And I'm like, okay, I can't prank civilians anymore. So I just aim my meanness at my guys. You're safe. Everyone here's safe. <laughs> Except for the bartender. <laughs> well, you just saying the phrase monster brings me to my first talking point, which is uh, the opening sequence of Jackass <laughs> Forever, which I don't know if any of you guys have seen the film yet. It came out yesterday. Um, the opening sequence is something special. It is a very particular kind of monster movie. It is some kind of phallic, scrotal, kaiju creature uh, in this big, like, cinematic opening sequence. Uh, small spoiler, guys, it's Chris Pontius's penis. Yes, <laughs> Dongzilla. <laughs> there we go, official name. And it's the most expensive opening we've ever had. And Spike Jones directed it, and he hired the best DP, the best production designer. We had really talented people working on a really dumb idea. <laughs> there's some incredible puppetry going on, human puppetry. Yes, there's like the, the, you know, we did the miniatures on one stage, and, you know, we shot a lot on the Paramount backlot. A lot went into that. Yeah. Like, it was all centered around his dong. It's part of the franchise, quite honestly. It's a big part of the franchise. Chris Pontius has probably been nude more than any man in cinema history. Like, in legitimate films. Not that Jackass is a legitimate film. You know what I'm saying. It's not a blue movie, but close. But when does that idea first come up? Because, like, you would look back even at the first film and it was the, the shopping cart sequences, your big, like, opening and you've got big ending sequences. How do you start to come up with, like, this is how we're going to open Jackass Forever. We are going to do a penis kaiju. Well, it started out not as the open, um... We'd always wanted to do like a big Godzilla opening. And then I had an idea where I wanted to have a puppeteer, puppeteer Pontius's penis in a hula skirt and make it a dancing girl. <laughs> and my friend Derek Freda said, combine those two ideas. And so we did. And then I told Jeff and Spike, and then everyone starts adding their ideas to it. And it becomes this huge thing. Spike went insane. Mm -hmm. Like, when he came on, it was like every time he opened his mouth, $100,000 fell out. <laughs> he just loved the idea. Well, as you say, it's a Godzilla homage. Godzilla famously has his radioactive breath. There is another radioactive substance, which I'm sure you can all probably imagine what that is. Um, let's just say the word globules everywhere. What, what is that stuff made of? You covered many, many people in gooey liquids. What, what is that made of? Well, I, I, I didn't ask. Um, it's best not to ask on a Jackass set. So, but a lot of people stuck, they literally stuck to the pavement because we were filming all day. And it was, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I mean, poor people have been here all day and now this. 
One of those people is the absolutely legendary Tony Hawk. Um, at what point do you say to Tony Hawk, hey man, come on jackass, it's going to be great. At what point does he find out what he's going to be doing in that film, namely being covered head to toe in said substance? Um, Tony was just, hey, come out and shoot with us. We're shooting the opening. He's like, okay. He didn't ask. <laughs> he didn't know he was going to be covered in semen all day long. <laughs> Fake semen. Um, he just clear, he always, Tony never asks. <laughs> Bless his heart. He just, hey, we want to shoot with you. And he just comes out. So... Uh, He's the best. Yeah, that is pretty special. Well, there's so much stuff going on in this film. And like, we are lucky in our jobs. We get to interview filmmakers and actors and people who've done all sorts of stuff on a film set. But I don't think I've ever interviewed somebody who has been fired out of a human cannon. Right. And I just want to ask, what is, what is that sequence for you? When you are in that cannon, what is going through your mind? What are the mechanisms that are going on to make you fly out of a cannon? Well, I had to sign an NDA about the cannon, so I can't tell you about the mechanisms, but it is super, I'm not claustrophobic, but there's no room. I had to be stuffed into the cannon. And, uh, and to keep from thinking about flat backing in the water, I just focused on, okay, when I come out, I want to spread my wings. When I come out, I want to spread my wings. And that led me to not think about all the bad stuff that could happen. Because <laughs> you really get some air on that thing. That is absolutely wild. Like, so uh, is that happening in slow-mo to you when that's, when that's happening? Or do you kind of not remember the moment that you leave that cannon? And oh, no, the there's the no slow-mo. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you exploded out of a cannon. So literally, um, yeah, it all happened very quick. And when I hit my uh, peak, then it happened. Then it got slower. Gravity sucks. <laughs> but it's a big part of all our films, gravity. Newton's third law of motion is a big part of it. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask about physics because another sequence that particularly amused me, you think about uh, physics in cinema and you think about Christopher Nolan hiring Kip Thorne for the physics in Interstellar and how sure. that works around black holes. But it struck me that there was probably less work involved in that than in creating the gizmo that would allow you to uh, light one of Steve-O's farts underwater. <laughs> that is a serious piece of apparatus. That is like insane scientific stuff. That, that's been an idea we've been trying for 14 years. <laughs> um, and it's our white whale. Uh, and I'm not going to give away if we were able to do it or not, but go see the movie. Scientists will be studying it for years to come. I mean, we're scientists at the end of the day. We're you just are. gathering data. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of data gathered in this one. A lot of data. Useless data, but we gathered it. So you said you've been trying that for 14 years. Has yes. there been anything else that you've been trying for ages and it's just not come together? What, what, have you got any other white whales that you've... Yes, 20 years you've been doing this stuff now. Yes, there are some white whales, but I, I can't really go into them because we still might shoot them one day. And, but there was one we wanted to shoot on this. It was a needless surgery that it was going to be like, had a $10 million deductible. And it's like, oh God. So we couldn't do that. So <laughs> I was like, look, we can go down to Tijuana and we can get it done real cheap. But the studio was like, no, you can't. I mean, the joy of this film is sort of seeing you and, and Steve-O and Chris and Wee Man, all the guys back together. But you also have various new cast members joining you who are 
incredible. They do some absolutely wild stuff. They really get stuck in. What is that process? How do you audition somebody to become part of the Jackass crew? How did you go about recruiting those guys? Um, initially, we just reached out to friends we knew. Jasper Dolphin was on Loiter Squad. I filmed a, a movie with Eric Manaka, Chris Pontius, and I did in South Africa. Um, Zach Holmes shot with Pontius. I mean, shot with Steve-O. I mean, his Instagram is called Zachass, right? He grew up watching us. And only two we didn't know, uh, Poopies, I'm popping my peas, sorry. <laughs> was introduced to us by uh, a producer named Trip Taylor. And if you don't know, Poopies is like a more gullible Spicoli, but not quite as quick. <laughs> he, he's amazing. And Rachel Wolfson was, I was just a fan of her Instagram. She's a stand-up comedian and very funny. Very funny, very smart. Her mom is a judge, and she put away O.J. Simpson. Her, liter literally. And her dad's a DA in Las Vegas. Her sister's an attorney. And Rachel has a joke that said, the same woman who sent O.J. Simpson away sent me to my room growing up. But we got out. <laughs> you mentioned their poopies. <laughs> and to be honest, I look at my notes here and it just says, poopies, who, what, why? Poop, where? I don't even know what to say. Poopies. I don't even know what to reply. <laughs> he was heaven sent. He seems like born to be part of the Jackass crew. He was born to be part of the Jackass crew. Uh, he's just so, he's got so much heart. He'll do almost anything. And that, and, and, and when someone's like that, like Zach Holmes will do anything we ask him. And that's a lot of responsibility to have over someone, right? Because... We don't want it. I mean, we don't mind if someone gets hurt, but we don't want someone to get injured. So we kind of have to watch what we ask them because they'll do whatever. I was going to say, was there anything that any of the newbies did in particular that just like bowled you over, that they, that they went there, that it went as well as it did? What was the uh, stunt that most impressed you with one of the new guys this time? Um, I don't know. They all have so much heart and uh, I'm so proud of them. I, I can't think of any one stunt, but. Uh, they're just all like Jasper Dolphin. He's down. He's a skater. Um, so funny. And his dad, we got his dad, Dark Shark. Dark Shark is an OG crip who, you know, did a little time in prison and is the funniest guy on the set. He is just, I love, we love Dark Shark. Yeah. Him plus a vulture. It's and, just well, a wonderful combination. He's scared of anything that he doesn't, you know, he didn't grow up with vultures or anything. <laughs> and he's terrified of birds. He's terrified of weird things. He's terrified of heights, which we took him skydiving. But uh. <laughs> that's in 4.5. It was funny. Susie jumped out of the plane. He just started apologizing to Jesus. It was just, I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, while you're making this film, like, again, you see it in tons of the setups. It's half the setup of the pranks is it's misdirect. It's like, hey, you guys are being brought in here to watch us do this prank. Right. Actually, the prank is on you. At what point does that paranoia start to subside? Because you must spend the whole shoot just like looking over your shoulder, looking underneath every seat that you sit on, waiting for somebody to do something that you don't expect. Well, Jeff and I know 98.5% of everything that's going on, right? Because we're writing it, and, but we keep 1.5% away from each other. So <laughs> even we don't trust everything, but the guys don't know anything. Mm -hmm. 
and girls, you know, Rachel, they don't know anything. And, and a lot of them don't want to know. The only one who wants to know is like Wee Man. He's like so hypervigilant and just like looks under everything. And it's like, oh, Wee Man, I guess you don't want any footage. Steve always just walks on the set and doesn't really give a shit. The best thing is Wee Man looks for everything and still gets got. <laughs> Tons of times. But it's the simple stuff. Like for me, like uh, you perfectly firing a football at Steve-O's head. It just bounces off at a perfect angle. It's just a wonderful thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, in the, that was a, a volleyball out of a, that was a soccer ball. Mm -hmm. Or excuse me, a football. Football over here. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Shit. Now they're going to get angry. <laughs> so how do you guys divvy up? How do you decide who's going to do what? Because, I mean, you do your fair share of mad shit in this film, but it struck me that Aaron McGee, he gets... <laughs> if you talk, want to talk about, like, who's got the highest, like, painometer in this film, from a viewing perspective, it seemed like he was pretty high on the list. Like, how do you decide who does what? How much joy does it bring you to see him in that much pain? <laughs> Especially in the testicular area. Well, it's his fault, really. Because if he didn't give such great, horrified reactions, we wouldn't keep picking him. But he just keeps giving great, horrified reactions. And that's what you get. Yeah, but he did amazing in this film. He didn't mean to, but he did amazing. <laughs> he didn't know what he's walking into. <laughs> oh, but Aaron did great. Um, you know, I'm really proud of all the guys and girls, so. In, in terms of the guests you bring on, because we, we mentioned oh, Tony yeah. Hawk before, like Tyler, the creator, uh, has an absolute blast in many senses in this film. Yeah. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly, Eric Andre, obviously, who has kind of carried on the torch in some ways. You look at some sure. bad trip last year. What was it like bringing him on and getting to kind of like bring him in as somebody who's clearly influenced by? I, I love all of them. You know, we have a history with with all three of those guys and. You know, I was talking to Jeff, because usually when we have special guests on, we don't really target them, right? It's just a tonal thing. But I was like, so Eric Andre, what, like he's coming on. Does he get the full treatment? Jeff's like, kill him. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> he so, gets got pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, he, he, he wrote bits for the movie. Like he wrote the uh, bit when I'm in the cherry picker up on the telephone pole. So uh, he's become a really great friend and just so lucky to have him in the film. All the people, all our special guests, we're lucky to have in the film. Uh, it's, it's, we're very appreciative. And how would you get them involved? Like they probably know they're in for some pain, uh, but, but how, how do you make sure that it's not too much, but it's still enough that it's like a jackass sequence? Well, you try not to worry about too much, <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, Machine Gun Kelly has a jackass two tattoo on his arm, so... If you have that, you're kind of asking for it, you know? <laughs> You've given us full consent. <laughs> so as we were saying, uh, our time's nearly up, so yeah, this is coming to a close, but you brought in several new cast members here, but you guys still give so much to this film. Is there more you say there's other white whales that you haven't achieved yet that you'd still love to do? Is this you passing the torch to those new guys? Would you like someone else to like take the jackass mantle and run with it? Or do you see it as something that's just going to be you and, and your guys forever? I don't know. It could be any of those things. Half-assed stuntmen are terrible long-term planners, right? <laughs> we make every film like it's the last one, but I will say that we have, we have more ideas that we didn't get to than any film we've ever had. 
because I've been writing years. for 10 years, right? Ever since the last one, I've been writing for 10 years, not knowing if we'll do another one, but I have a stack of ideas. <laughs> uh, will they ever get shot? I don't know, but they could. Well, we can't wait to see them, can we, guys? <laughs> Give us a stack of ideas. Johnny Knoxville, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been an absolute blast. Congratulations on the film. Thank you so Everybody much. Everybody go and see Jackass Forever. Thank you. What a lineup, what a lineup. But now it is back to Ushmo's because it is time for the reviews section. We'll be talking about the films you can see in your multiplex and on your sofaplex. We've had the star of Jackass Forever. We have had the star and director of The Souvenir Part 2. But frankly, there's only one place to start. Roland Emmerich's Moonfall. <laughs> in which the moon gets ideas above its station and tries to plant one on Earth. Jimbo. Moonfall! Moonfall! <laughs> I swear to God, this is absolutely true. Whenever I type Moonfall into my phone, it autocorrects to block capitals because I have only ever referred to it as Moonfall! Um, Most of our WhatsApp chat this week has been you and me going, Moonfall! Moonfall! And Helen going, what the fuck, guys? <laughs> I was excited. Oh my God. We'll get to that. So, so this is a film. And, uh, you know. <laughs> it is a film in which the moon is in a decaying orbit and it is spiraling around. It will crash into the Earth, but before it does so, it causes things like gravity waves that go vertically up into the sky, because of course they do. People flying into the air, it's absolute carnage, uh, except of course it's no moon. It's a space station, and but, but it's fine, it's fine, because we've got Patrick Wilson, the astronaut, and we've got um, Samuel Tarly, the conspiracy theorist, <laughs> and we have, and I cannot emphasize this enough, Oscar winner Halle Berry <laughs> on a mission to punch the moon. Now, <laughs> I don't think it's overstating things to say this is quite literally the greatest achievement in the history of cinema. <laughs> it is, and I know what you're going to say, I know what you're going to say, like the Oscar nominations are coming out next week, it's already locked. I'm saying, guys, there's still time. There's still time. Roland Emmerich and his collaborators are a lock for best original screenplay. Yeah, collaborators. Yeah. There is dialogue in here. Like, Brian, we're inside the moon. <laughs> yeah. Brian, the world needs you. And lest we forget, how many Brians do you think are inside the moon? <laughs> it's a very good film for Brian. Yes, lots um, of Brians. A lot of Brians. I, I mean, it's clearly a work of staggering genius. I will say there are a couple of mi minor, 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 minor quibbles. Um, first of all, I would say while the bombastic the CGI plot, <laughs> the is very impressive, but the compositing maybe needs a little bit to be desired quite a Oh, this is bad yeah. screen screen, yeah. Phil. This yeah. is this yeah. is just yeah. awful. Uh, is Gillian VFX here? Wave, say hello. Did you work on Moonfall? She may not be here. Hello, hello. I hope you didn't work on Moonfall. This is going to be really awkward. Yeah, the uh, compositing is actually quite shocking. And then, of course, that there's that minor thing. And then there's, of course, the fact that it's complete fucking nonsense. Um, but it's not nonsense nonsense. It's like giant... Planet-sized, iron-clad, glow-in-the-dark, fucking ridiculous gibberish. It is ten times more nonsense than Armageddon, a film famous for being <laughs> nonsense and also brilliant. Um, it is perhaps the most Roland Emmerich film ever made. It is not the best Roland Emmerich film ever made. It may be the worst Roland Emmerich film ever made, but I have Heart to from say, the I have to say... 
I quite enjoyed myself. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Despite myself, I was like, they're inside the moon. It's yeah. just like, Jimmy, oh. what? Why did we bring him? I don't understand. <laughs> they were inside the moon. We we should probably say that Roland Emmerich has been mounting a one-man campaign. <laughs> to get me and Jimbo to see this yeah, movie. Yeah. It's almost as if he's made this movie for me and Jimbo. So a couple of weeks ago, we recorded a <laughs> video preview um, show for the, the year, what's this year? 2022, thank you. Sure. Uh, and we got to this month, what's this month? February. February. Okay, thank February. you. Good. Yeah. Uh, and we got to we got to the February uh, preview, and Jimbo and I spent the Thoughts. entire three yeah. minutes bellowing about how excited we were about Moonfall. But and this is the crucial bit, and I quote because it's going to be the stupidest movie of all time, and we cannot wait. Now Roland Emmerich apparently saw this video and thought that we were wholeheartedly, sincerely back in his movie, yeah. and I I don't know how to break it to him. Like it wasn't. Oh, mate. Fun stupid. It was just bad stupid. Mm. I like thought it was fun stupid. stupid. <laughs> I thought it was deeply fun stupid. Yeah, so did Especially, I. it has that thing where kind of about half an hour from the end, it barrels towards a stupidity oh. singularity. Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> At which point it's going to create a whole new universe of stupid. <laughs> and it succeeded in that aim. I, the thing I love about it is if we're talking about the insane science of this film and how stupidly dumb it is in the best possible <laughs> way, it's like Roland Emmerich watched Interstellar and watched specifically, let's say, the final half hour of Interstellar. And didn't understand any of it. <laughs> and went, what if this was fucking stupid? No, but like... And he made that movie. But here's the thing. Like, that stuff, the kind of sci-fi stuff, anybody who's listened to our Boba Fett episode 5 spoiler special knows I was super there for some of that stuff. Yeah. Dyson's Veer! <laughs> super there for it. But it took forever. No one in this movie at any point acts like a human being. Not, not once does anyone have a normal human reaction to the moon being about to crash on them and their only hope being Samuel Tarley and his insane conspiracy theory. There's an, no one. But there's Helen an incredible line where... Halle Berry states that the moon is about to crash on them. We need your help. She says, she, she says this to Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson's response, yeah, but I got other problems to deal with. <laughs> you literally do not the have any other problems. <laughs> yes, but my son doesn't love me. <laughs> I just, I, and, and like all the, all the effects, all the disaster bits, we've yeah. seen him do all of them before. Yeah. He attacks the same places over and over again in the mm. same ways. I used to be a big Roland Emmerich apologist and even I was willing to put Anonymous aside and yeah. still like his, his disaster movies. This is the biggest pile of shit. But Helen, <laughs> I wow. Do it Helen, wow. Brian was inside the moon. <laughs> Can I just say, the specific line there was, are we dead? No, we're just inside the moon. <laughs> it's amazing. Genuinely though, I've been watching a lot of The Apprentice recently and this feels like a movie that was made as a task <laughs> on The Apprentice. I, 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 and I'm sorry, Roland, and I know you'll probably unfollow me now on Twitter, but this is the cross I have to bear. I thought it was absolutely horrendous horseshit. I thought it was absolutely batshit insane, but the bat and the insane are silent. It is dreadful beyond comprehension. And if I hadn't had to do this fucking thing, I would have walked out. 
Two four stars in for. <laughs> I, I have said in the past, and still stand by this, that Godzilla vs. Kong is a five star, three star movie. <laughs> it is as five star as a shitty three star movie could possibly get. This, this is a four star, two star movie. No, this is a two star, one star movie. Four star, two star movie. It operates by its own physics, also, being pulled up by the moon. Along with all the waves and all the people's senses that leave their brain, which is why they don't act like <laughs> rational human beings. It has genuine. Oh God, why are we talking so much you about that? We have so many good films out this week. We have got to let I this want, one go. I want to say one more thing about Movable because I genuinely find this impressive. We've been talking about a lot about the effects of the film. Uh, the conspiracy theorist, played by John Bradley, yep. uh, he has a cat named Fuzz Aldrin in the film. <laughs> but, but John Bradley is massively allergic to cats. He and the cat are actually never in the same frame, never in the same room together. That's the best effect in the movie. I <laughs> it all back five stars then for Moonfall. No, two stars in for Moonfall. And I have to say, sadly, Roland, mate, I love you, but no, yeah, I think that's generous. No, anyway, two stars in for Moonfall. Uh, next up is a film that hasn't got two stars or indeed a big old BAFTA nomination. It is... The Souvenir Part 2, Joanna Hogg's follow-up to... Hang on. <laughs> the Souvenir. Part 1, I presume. Hell's Bells. Hi, yes. So this picks up with the story of uh, Julia, who is played by Honor Swinton Byrne, who was our protagonist in the first film, if you've seen that. So basically, she suffers a loss at the end of the first film, and as we rejoin her, she's trying to process that she's trying to get over that she's trying to get back to her life um, but also work through what happened understand what happened understand how she acted understand how how uh, things came to pass as they did I don't want to give it away any spoilers for the souvenir um, and is processing that through filmmaking and it's a fascinating fascinating multi-layered look at being a, a human being and, and trying to use art to help you understand your life and trying to understand your art through life and how to bring a film together. She's learning how to deal with cast, with crew. Um, she's a very sort of self-effacing, quiet person and she's trying to direct a film. So she's trying to give everybody orders and is inclined to second guess herself and sort of, you know, express herself very meekly and, and quietly and people keep kind of pushing her for answers and things and she hasn't always got them and she's trying to figure themselves them out as she goes this all sounds a bit internal and it is but it's brilliantly brought to life so what joanna hogg does is she drops you in the middle of a scene for exactly as long as you need to be there and she gives you exactly what you need of the conversation to understand where everybody is kind of emotionally and personally and then just moves on this thing moves like a train it genuinely does even though it's dealing with Big, big ideas of emotion and everything else. It's incredible. You've just described Roland Emmerich's technique on Moonfall, in fairness. Have <laughs> I, though? Because his scenes seemed interminable. These ones actually, like, move you along and get you places. Um, but look, not inside the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically, that's exactly where you end up. I mean, funnily enough, this is actually part of the weird kind of metatextual... Um, trend in filmmaking that we've seen with a lot of things recently from, you know, The Matrix, from Ghostbusters, from Scream 5. Genuinely, it's kind of on a, mm -hmm. a level with them in some in some respects. Um, and the, the place ends up honestly made me cry. I, w I was incredibly emotionally moved by it. Tilda Swinton, by the way, plays Julia's mother. Um, obviously, she is Honor Swinton Burns' mother. I feel like there's a clue there in the names. Mm -hmm. um, but their, their interactions are just fantastic. I don't think they're anything like that in real life. This is not sort of just like, oh, neither of them have to act, fine, go for it. 
but <laughs> they they're they're so good together on screen and it is it's such an amazingly crafted world all the people feel absolutely real mm -hmm. i mean it's based i think on real life but it's it's beautiful it's moving it's funny it's clever it's weird i love it to death and um, the souvenir part one if you haven't seen it is on iplayer right now you can just pick it up um souvenir part two definitely definitely go see it yeah yeah and no, i co-sign all of that and it's interesting because i didn't really get along with the souvenir part one uh, but i'm intrigued to go back and watch it in the wake of the souvenir part two because i really enjoyed this film and it really does feel like if i watched them back to back mm. that collective experience would have been better uh i would also add that richard ayoade is in souvenir part two he's in souvenir part one as well he seems he, he steals a lot of scenes yeah. in this in this film it's really fun to watch it's super good. Despite the lack of people being inside the moon, we have given this one five stars, five Woo! stars in to the souvenir part two. Uh, next up is uh, Jackass Forever, uh, a film in which <laughs> people go inside the moon in all kinds of different ways. Uh, there is, there's no plot in this one. It's just smashing. Um, we open with a bit of a plot. It's no know. plot. <laughs> there is no plot. That opening and I scene. love it. It's yeah. a monster movie, that opening scene. Yeah. Yes, it is. In but, so many um, senses. In so many yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Among, yeah. review this film, please, without <laughs> smashing your head into the furniture <laughs> or breaking your penis. You know, normally when I say a film has a load of bollocks, <laughs> it's a negative term. With Jackass Forever, it's a descriptive term. There is a load of bollocks in this film, and me and Helen, we saw this at 10 a.m. on was, Tuesday. Was I was not early. ready for no. the amount of no. bollocks. I'm gonna stop saying that word, I promise, but wow, yeah. um, there's a lot. But yeah, um, Jackass crew are back together again, 10 years after the last film, and it's so much fun. Um, I put out a tweet uh, after I watched it. I went through all the emotions. I cringed, I laughed, I hit my face. It was like I, it was, like I was watching a horror movie at times. Yeah. It was all of the emotions, and the stunts are great. They alternate in length, they're very versatile. Some, some stunts are like 20 seconds, others are a lot longer than that, but they switch it up and you're laughing hard and consistently all the way throughout. But in addition to all that fun, there's a sense of brotherhood with this crew that really comes through. They call Johnny Knoxville the captain. There's a really sort of, you know, quite emotional scene when he gets hurt and, you know, they immediately switch and you can tell the, the emotional levels are really true. I love that. There's a father and son dialogue that goes all the way through the film that's really really great too so yeah i absolutely had a blast with this there is that camaraderie but there's also various points where like wee man is screaming on the floor and turning <laughs> to jeff true. tremaine the director being like i want to go i want to go and jeff's like we got to get one more do it again. <laughs> yeah jeff tremaine is the real villain here he's he's hilarious <laughs> I thought there's uh, there's there are two moments in this film where lance bangs who is a very respected uh director and cameraman and is just a lovely, lovely fella. Uh, there are two moments in this film and um, who lent me a hard drive years ago. I've never returned to him. But anyway, um, and now no longer works. Sorry, Lance. Uh, is uh, puking in his COVID mask because he can't bear what has just happened in front of him. It is one of the funniest things. I it's, loved it's I loved this movie. Yeah. Uh, I can't, you know, it's, it's, it's not the souvenir part two. Um, <laughs> But frankly, that is to the souvenir part two's detriment. Maybe in a way it is. You, you remember in Spinal Tap where he says there's a thin line between stupid and clever. Like that is that is exactly where this movie lives because yeah. they are doing such objectively stupid things, but they are so creative and they are so clever in the way they do it. Oh, yeah. It is 
I, I laughed and cringed solidly for 96 minutes. And I cannot stress this enough. If you're watching this in the cinema, and you should absolutely watch oh, it with yeah. a crowd, look around occasionally at your fellow <laughs> cinema goers. Because at one point, I looked along the row, and like yeah. Amon was there, uh -huh. and, and Campbellay, and Christina, and they were yeah. all in various stages of. <laughs> um, it's 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 not stress testing. It's stress testing. It's, it's it's amazing. I I feel intimately acquainted with Chris Pontius's penis at this yeah, point. Yeah. It just feels like the film that we weirdly all need right now because it is about that camaraderie. But it is so funny. I can't remember the last time I laughed that yeah. much. And as Amon said, it's like seeing a horror film. It is yeah. like. All being in that room, you have a visceral reaction to everything that's happening in that screen. Mm -hmm. And in the same way that when you see a horror film, it creates that atmosphere because everyone is in that moment. No one is on their phone. No one is distracted. Mm -hmm. Everyone is in the moment. Everyone is watching that softball being thrown extremely quickly at Chris Pontius. No, Erin nope. McGeary's nuts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. Chris Pontius's dick and Erin McGeary's nuts. I mean, oh, dick nuts. as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, no, that was... Best cinema experience since No Way Home, for sure. <laughs> I know it wasn't that long ago, but still. Very different cinema experience. Yeah, just yeah. like FYI. Yeah. James is shaking his head because he, um, he disapproves of such hygiene. Oh. I've never in my life seen a jackass. Uh, never what? Like, Hello, I wouldn't like On paper, I wouldn't like this. It is everything in, I hate. In actuality, it's... It's genius. <laughs> it's genius. I just, I can't, I just can't know. No. Just anyway. hard parts. All right. Okay. Well, it's not for James, it's but it's for me. many of you. And it was for most of us. And we gave this one four, four, four stars. Can I should have figured out what we gave these things before yeah, we, well, we did this. Here. But, you know, hey, it's been a long day. Can I just say, so I saw this in the Cineworld Nottingham on Friday at midday. And as we were leaving, like people had been losing their minds throughout the film, having a blast, having a gas. But as we were leaving... Some guy just stood up and went, it won't for me. <laughs> I was like, how did you end up coming to see this film? Surely you know what you're coming to see. But the fourth Jackass movie, 20 years after they started Jackass. But he sat through the whole damn thing. I respect that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I've told this before, but when I walked out, but I didn't walk out, but I, when I left The Matrix Resurrections after the second time with, uh, with um, pain punters, there was a guy walking in front of me and he was like, did you see that guy who left halfway through? He's my fucking hero. <laughs> <laughs> he was wrong. All right, four stars in for Jackass forever. Uh, it is <laughs> a true belter. Uh, and our penultimate film is Mamoru Hosada's stunning Japanese animation, Bell. Ben. Please review this film without smashing your head into the furniture or indeed breaking your penis. I will try my very oh, best. Uh, yeah, so uh, Mamoru Hosoda uh, is the director previously behind The Boy and the Beast and Murray. Um, also, Digimon the Movie was his first film. <laughs> Let me forget. I still remember so the theme wow. song. So many Digimon stands in there as well. Where did they come from? Digital, Digital monsters, Digimon are the champions. Chum. What is happening? Why? Why is happening? I feel we've got off track already. Yeah. Uh, to get us back on track, uh, this is a hard film to describe, or kind of a simple film to describe, because it's basically Beauty and the Beast meets The Matrix, yeah. meets Ready Player One. Yep. Um, so this is like a sort of contemporary take on the Beauty and the Beast story, as you can probably tell by the title Belle, Belle Elabette, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, and this is uh, centered around Suzu, who is a teenager. She is a very shy teenager 
teenage girl who has suffered great loss in her life and is sort of struggling uh, to express herself. She joins this app um, called U, the letter U, where you can reinvent yourself. It sort of scans your yourself, your consciousness, and creates a digital avatar for you that is as an, an expression of what is inside you. And when she scans herself into this universe, she becomes a singing pop star sensation known as Belle. Uh, and in this world, she's able to express herself and use her voice in a way that she can't in the real world. Uh, meanwhile, there is a beast uh, known as the dragon who is sort of chastised on you, uh, who is being kind of chased down by the authorities of the app. Uh, and she sees something in this, in whoever is behind this avatar uh, that is struggling, is really in need of help. So it is about the connection between Belle and the dragon. It is also, yeah, like a, a wild artificial uh, universe movie. Uh, and the way that they express that digital world is incredible. It's visually absolutely dazzling. And it looks, I mean, you could draw a line between that and something like the Oasis in Ready Player One, but I think it really gets its own visual language. It's a very distinct use of color and of architecture to express this digital world in a way that is really engaging. Uh, it looks incredible. My main drawback was uh, in, in sort of classic anime style, some people will rub up against this less than I did. There's a lot of kind of melodramatic, melodramatic emotional stuff and some of that connects, but it hadn't fully grabbed me in that sense. So when uh, kind of the half hour, the final half hour of the film really leans into these kind of melodramatic, emotional crescendos. I wasn't quite there with it in the way that I was early in the film. When you have these big, colorful, like pop music sequences, um, which just look and sound incredible. There's an amazing score, a big, like digital electronic score, but it's really creative. Him. It's, fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really creative. It looks and feels unlike anything else you've seen. And if you're somebody who like skirts around the edges of anime stuff and, and when there's something big, like obviously a Ghibli or something like your name comes out, you, you kind of flirt with that stuff. Uh, check it out because yeah. there is so much great stuff in there. And I will say some of that, you know, end of the film stuff. The it, bell end. No, I refuse. I absolutely refuse. Um, it does go into places I didn't expect it to, and it does deal with subjects that matter that I didn't expect it to. Don't you even start with me. <laughs> so uh, so I, I appreciated that it, that it had something to say, and it had a point of view, and it had a real message at its heart, which I thought was lovely. And I think the way it deals with technology and communication in a way that's not demonized is really interesting. At the same time, while dealing with ideas of like of catfishing, basically, um, it's really interesting the way it toes that line. It doesn't just go, hey, we don't really connect to each other. We're all just going through our phones. It's like, hey, this is a valid way of expressing yourself um, and maybe connecting with people who really need that connection and, and can benefit from that. Yeah. 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 No, I agree with all of that. There's a song in the film, which is so good. I feel like it was, if it was English language, we'd be talking about it for like best song uh, for the next couple of weeks. It's, we it's should really, be anyway. It's quite yeah, good. it's really, really great. Uh, so yeah, it's good. Phenomenal. Uh, good stuff. Four stars then for Bell. Four stars. And from the Bell end to the Bell end. The last film this week is The Eyes of Tammy Faye, in which Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield play Tammy Faye and Jim is it Backer or Baker? Baker. Is it Baker? spelled Backer? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. it's, it's Tammy uh, Baker in the Crowded House song, Chocolate Cake, uh, on their hit album, 
would face. Which uh, I, was, anyway. I was about to say, yeah. Of course. Uh, anyway, they're disgraced evangelists in real life who must travel to a parallel dimension when it gets swept up in a, sorry, wrong Andrew Garfield movie. Um, anyway, they're disgraced evangelists and this movie was meant to be in the Oscar race and now isn't. Why? Why? What is happening? Well, this is a Jessica Chastain film that Helen gave three stars to. So let's find out what went wrong here. Um, <laughs> so this is Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. They're the kind of, uh, they rose to prominence in the 70s and 80s and they were kind of, a, a, I guess, an infamous televangelist power couple. Um, and if anyone's seen Jessica Chastain's Instagram, where she shows this kind of time-lapse video of her getting into makeup as Sammy Faye, it's a pretty incredible transformation. And uh, it's not just the prosthetics. She inhabits this character. Uh, Sammy Faye had this sort of actually slightly Marge Gunderson thing going on, but but she has this sort of Betty Boop voice and this ebullient personality. And so it's a really showy performance, but she also gives this this kind of core of sensitivity. She's actually quite relatable. She's quite sympathetic. Whether that's right or wrong is a whole other question. But um, but it's, it's a lovely performance there. And I think, you know, obviously Garfield's character is a, is a screaming bellend, but, uh, but it's a great performance from him as well. I think my main issue with this, it's quite leaden and a bit tedious. A bit and by the numbers, yeah. It is, and it's just, it feels all glitz and no substance. A bit like, frankly, the pair of them, honestly. Like, they were offering salvation for cash, and this offers entertainment for cash, and I don't think either one of them came through. But, um, I mean, look... <laughs> Helen clearly has a habit of underselling Jessica oh Chastain's four-star masterpieces. I like her. <laughs> but unlike Molly's game, I have to say, she got this one right. So it is three stars for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Bingo. Uh, not as good as the documentary, which of course came out in 2000. Um, yes. Yeah. Hey. Genuine bingo. bingo. Genuine hey. bingo. Hey. All right, hang on. We've got to test this. All right. Shall I grab something good from the prize? Grab box? something good, absolutely. Bring it up here, sir. Thank you. Let's have a little look at your bingo sheet. You pass it forward. I can't get down there, it's very high. That's it. See, yeah, why couldn't you've got up? Unbelievable. All right, okay, so let's see. Which which bit? Oh, have you been tearing things in? Okay. It's very, yeah, no, we, I fucked up. <laughs> and then by the time I went to reprint all the sheets, they're, printer had run out of toner. So uh, anyway, uh, this part will be edited out. Chris mentions his wife, <laughs> Hamilton reference, four-star masterpiece, Molly's Game, Ben is optimistic about Star Wars or Marvel or Disney. Uh, oh, we haven't got to Amon Says Peace as a sign-off, so it must be this side. Okay. Uh, oh, well, no, hang on a second. No, in that case, you got to get them all, all nine. It's like Pokemon. There we go. Amon, as his sign-off, he hasn't said it yet, so you haven't won. You Sorry. haven't won. You were so close. <laughs> you were so and close. Yet so far. <laughs> all right. So you have to get all nine, and Bangly Bang is free. No, no, you can't combine front and back. Honestly. Steady. It's anarchy in this place. Where were we? Two stars Tommy in Faye. for Moonfall. Three, Next up three, is the souvenir three, part three, two. No, oh God, no, no? Again. okay, we've done that. Uh, bit. Tammy right. Faye. Tammy yeah. Faye, three stars. It does, it, yeah, it, it's exactly right. It doesn't ever feel internal. It feels like it's concentrating on how she looked and what happened to her, but not really getting under her skin in the way that you, you really want to, because she's a very interesting, very complicated character. She was one of the very few televangelists to embrace you know, gay people and people suffering from AIDS during the height of the AIDS crisis. And... And, and it does show that, but again, it doesn't show why she almost alone was was willing and able to do that. And um, yeah. and you just wanted more of that. Yeah. Now I would add, and I think Helen, you touched on this in your view. She was complicit in 
the televangelism that was going on. And uh, Andrew Baker, you know, he rightfully, you know, is the focus of that and gets a lot of the blame. And, you know, we, we get to see the consequences. But we don't really get to see the consequences of her complicity within that. I wanted to see more of that and really have her earn her recovery and her redemption. And I don't think the film did as good a job as it could have with that. All right. Yep. Three stars in for the eyes of Tammy Faye. Uh, not as good as chocolate cake on Woodface. Um, and now the reviews are out of the way, folks. It is time, as we are in the end game now, as a magical wizard once said, uh, for you to ask us anything. Can we get the lights up, please, Maestro? On the audience, there we go. Fantastic. We have, Hi. we should have, I think, at least one roving microphone. Am I right in thinking, backstage team? Do we have a roving microphone? If not, you'll just have to shout things out and we'll repeat it. Uh, all right. I'm going to. That corner was first. Okay. Helen, you choose. You choose, so, and then we'll go yes, along. Yes, person here. Hello. Yes. Okay. So I'll repeat this now so people can hear it. Um, so if we could have, go back in time and have any guest at all for a spoiler special podcast, who would it be and why? that was my first thought my second thought though was Alfred Hitchcock for Psycho because he was so concerned with keeping the end of that movie or actually the beginning of that movie essentially secret from audiences you know there was the whole you can't go into the cinema once the film has started because you used to be able to go in wherever and sort of sit through the next showing Um, but he was like no you've got to be there at the beginning and you've got to watch it all the whole whole way through and I just think it would have been it would have been exactly the kind of thing that we spoiler special Back in the day. That would be interesting, wouldn't, wouldn't it? Yeah, Hitchcock. Hitchcock would be amazing in so many of his yeah. his great movies. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow, that would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Good, good so, uh, so, Hitch, why did the birds? You know, why is he saying? That's my Hitchcock. I can't really do I'm melting. Um, yeah, that would be, that'd be pretty amazing. Gene Kelly, and then we could show him a picture of Chris Evans and go, come on, man. Seriously. <laughs> come on. You. Yeah, well, whatever. Come on, who would you have? Uh, it would obviously be Kevin Conroy for 1993's oh. Batman, colon, Mask of the Phantasm, a.k.a. the did best he, Batman film of all time. Did he write and direct that? Is that... <laughs> is that no, he no, is okay. the best Batman of all time. All right. I mean, that is what the conversation would be, be about. Will Arnett. <laughs> ben, who would you have? Who, who would you really uh, want to pick? Pick someone's brains. I feel like I go back like two months ago and say, Lana Wachowski, can we talk about the Matrix Resurrections for fucking hours? I would love that. But they, they don't, the Wachowskis never really did much in the way of interviews for kind of anything. If you go back, if you look at the uh, Blu-ray releases of uh, Matrix Reloaded and, and uh, Matrix Revelations, um, they don't do commentaries on those. And it's, it's like the commentaries are with three philosophers that they have picked <laughs> to talk through differing interpretations of those films, which is kind of fucking amazing in its own way. But I would love to talk to the Wachowskis. And yeah, I, I mean, I, that film, I mean, Matrix Resurrections, I've seen it three times in the cinema now. Three I am times. all in. And there's so much I would love to dig deep into that. <laughs> James, stop looking at me like that. He's judging. He's judging. I would have JJ Abrams on because I think he has many questions to answer <laughs> about the rise of Skywalker. It's a good movie. Is it pooping? Get the right. fuck look, out! Look at these people here. Is it though? People are shaking their heads. Who invited JJ right Abrams? Now. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, 
There's no director you'd really want on to pick their brains, like a, a movie that you love. Oh, Jim Cameron on Aliens, surely. Come on. on. I, yeah, well, I've I've talked to Jim Cameron about Aliens before, but so I, I I kind of I'd like to have like John McTiernan on to talk about Predator. I would like oh, to do that. That, yeah. that is something I'd really like to do. That'd I'd be like good. to because I've spoken to him about Die Hard, but I've never been able to speak to him about Predator. That, that would be great. Great. I'd love to do also, Martin Brest. Martin Brest for Midnight Run because Martin Brest barely speaks um, since he made uh, Geely. He kind of went underground. But a few yeah. months ago, he did a Q&A with, I think, with Paul Thomas Anderson out of, out of the blue in, in L.A., which was, I don't think it was recorded. So maybe he's around. But, um, you know, it's me. I'm not, I'm not going to say the obvious usual suspects, but, um, <laughs> or indeed usual suspects. Although Macquarie on the usual suspects would be amazing. Um, I, you know, I, honestly, we had George Romero on the podcast back in the early days of the podcast. Um, so someone like a George Romero on Dawn of the Dead or Day of the Dead, which is my favorite of the, of the dead movies, or Dick Donner on Superman or The Omen. Oh, God, there's so many. There's, imagine, uh, it'd be amazing. Can you imagine having sat down with Spielberg at the time to talk Close Encounters or something? Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, that didn't make much sense, did it, mate? That's what I'd say. <laughs> I think Ridley Scott on Gladiator would be a fun one. I really, really love that movie. And I think Sam Raimi on Spider-Man would be amazing, but I'm sure yeah. Chris would fight me on that one. <laughs> oh, you, 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 you're not getting near Sam Raimi. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've yeah. walled him off. Yeah. There's, a, there's a quarter. Sam, no. You will never get your hands on Sam Raimi. Uh, if if yeah. you did Ridley, though, for Gladiator, instead of having like 20 years ago Ridley, get now. No fucks oh, given, yeah. Ridley. And he would tell you all ben, kinds of I wild think shit. Twenty years ago, thirty years ago, forty years ago, Ridley was no fucks given, Ridley, because that's kind of what he is. Uh, Tony Scott. Oh my God, Tony Scott. Mm. Crimson Tide. The Last Boy Scout. Oh Jesus. Man on fire. I interviewed him once, Tony Scott, and it was he was amazing. And he was, you know, because Ridley has a. I, I, I always liken him. Do you know the Fast Show, right? And the fast show, you know, the brilliant sketch. And the kid is brilliant. Everything's brilliant. And then there was one sketch they did where they had John Thompson as his dad, who was rubbish. Everything's rubbish. And I always likened just my brief experience of talking to Ridley and Tony Scott. Tony Scott is brilliant. Everything's brilliant. Love of filmmaking. Oh, fuck the frame, Chris. Rock and roll. And Ridley's rubbish. <laughs> but they're amazing, amazing filmmakers. And, oh, and Tony Scott was such a loss. Oh, that's a maudlin note in which to yes. end that question. I'm so, but yeah, uh, endless, endless array of filmmakers. There's a hand in the very back corner there. Yeah. Which is the second one. Hand? Oh, thank you. Uh, Hi. I, 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 was thinking that because Joe Biden turns up at the end of Avengers Endgame, <laughs> if you were to recast the West Wing with Avengers characters, who would fit which role? <laughs> well, clearly, clearly the president would be the mighty Thanos. Uh, no. I think we can all what agree. You feel, um, feel, you feel sorry, like a man who has fundamentally misunderstood the West Wing. Yeah. I'm just saying there he has a progressive entire... environmental agenda and I'm fucking here for it. There is an entire episode about his Catholic right to life stuff. Yeah. Yeah, not Thanos then. And whales <laughs> in the Hudson, Helen. No, absolutely not. I refuse. No, sorry. Absolutely. Who would be Josh? The, the fast talking one. So you don't think it'd be Tony? Quicksilver would be Josh, is what you're saying. No, I think I think I think Tony would be would be Josh. It'd be interesting who Toby would be. Mm, who's the, who's the, the most difficult. cynical who's of the Who's soulful Avengers? but slightly maudlin? Mm. Banner. 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 You think Banner is Banner Toby? Banner is Tony. You could do worse. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Look, these characters don't map at all. No, brilliant. Is, is the is no the brilliant. Real, is the It'll be much. But I'm here much for this crossover. Yeah. 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 We'll think about this, and we'll have to because like, yeah. otherwise we'll spend all night on it, and these people will be sitting here going, "Come on." I've seen. I've seen. I've, I've seen, seen Avengers. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? I've <laughs> seen an episode of The West Wing, and it was very enjoyable. Yeah. I've, I've Which, finished it. Hang on. The present would be whichever of them is most likely to speak Latin. It's obviously Doctor Strange. Mm, yeah. Uh, that's surely got to be Loki then, no? Loki oh. does speak Latin. That's true. No, he's not. Loki you know. for president. <laughs> Loki for president. This there is all go. coming full circle. Yeah. 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 Alligator Loki is here. Josh. Um, other Loki is another <laughs> character. I'm really <laughs> running out here. I know Josh. I know Sam. I know Toby. I know Thor CJ. Lo- that's it. Thor Loki is, as yeah, as Toby and... Uh, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll workshop it. The wheels we'll come off yeah. slightly. Yeah. So. All right, but this is fine. This is yeah. what happens in live theater. Uh, oh, hand right up at the balcony. <laughs> I must repeat this. Thank you for making it so long. Um, so we give star ratings to things, um, but once and for all, can we give a percentage instead of a star rating to contentious reviews such as Molly's Game and The Rise of Skywalker? Here's the thing. <laughs> Percentages are also bullshit. Like all those, you know, games magazines that give like 67.5%, also bullshit. It's always just an impression. You should never go by the score anyway. You should actually, you know, hopefully read the review. I'm not saying you have to read the reviews. You can absolutely choose not to. You can absolutely choose to reject everything we say. That's fine. But if you're interested in reviewing, like the star rating is, you know, at best a blunt instrument. And that remains true even if it all the more so, actually, if it you know claims to be some kind of have some kind of precision. So um, I heard eighty percent for Molly's game there. That's, no, that's, that's no. What I heard. you know what? It's going to be ten percent off every time you mention that fucking film. So right now it's down to forty. It's down to forty percent. Uh-huh. Um, two stars then for Molly's game. <laughs> Let's clear up the Rise of Skywalker in the room. That is. We don't have that kind of time. <laughs> That is a 76.8 empirically. I mean, no, 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 it's a 32.3 empirically. Yeah. You are so wrong. It's a, it's a 19 out of 77 movie. <laughs> See what I did there? Um, no. No, Ben. No. It's a good film. It's, it's, I can see that for a lot of people, it's no. not a four star. I denounce you and I reject your works. <laughs> Babu Frick didn't not oh, die Babu for Frick. our sins, Chris. Babu Frick! Hey, 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 hey. Oh, yeah, okay. 87% then for the rise of Skywalker. I am so easily turned. Uh, thank you for your question. Uh, James, you choose the next person. Uh, you, there. June, are you June, June. Paul Atreides. Oh, wait. Excuse me, excuse me, we have already established well, we that Moonfall is a work of genius. We do not have time to relitigate. The shittest film we've ever seen that isn't Moonfall. But I'll we've already you. discussed The Rise of Skywalker. I'm very oh, confused. Come on, oh, come on. that oh, isn't even oh, close, and you know it. Uh, the last film I walked out of uh, was Million Ways to Die in the West, the Seth MacFarlane movie, which I thought was so awful. Um, and halfway through, I turned to the person I was next to, it might have been Nick, and I said... I'm not reviewing this, and life's too short. And I walked out. (laughs) Absolutely just awful on every conceivable level. You thought of a million ways to walk out of that film? I I felt so empowered, honestly. I felt emboldened. I went to Burger King and had a burger. It was great. 
I've had the same answer to this for years, which is that very early on, um, I was very junior and obviously in the office and I was sent to very bad films that nobody else wanted to go see. And then there was a point where I was reviews editor and, and I sent myself because mm. I didn't want, I wanted to take the bullet. I didn't want to, you know, occasionally I thought I have to throw myself on the grenade and give others a chance to live. And so I saw, um, th <laughs> the, the, these three films have been the benchmark by which every other is judged. Um, Soul Plane. Oh, which is yes. an absolutely irredeemable <laughs> yes. uh, remake of Airplane, which is uh, just Four stars. grotesque, absolutely awful. Um, Yu-Gi-Oh! Pyramid of Light. Um, oh, Mon's got to love that. No, which, which, lost <laughs> me, that one. which lost me in the first couple of mo moments of the, the prologue, the big, you know, oh, voiceover bit in the big deep voice where they go, you know, so-and-so is locked away for eternity, but even eternity doesn't last forever. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sort of sitting there for the whole rest of the film going, does though. <laughs> um, and then the third one was when I was reviews editor, I sent myself to an, a film by Matthew Barney, who is a, a serious artist um, who was married to Bjork at the time. Uh, it, the film is called Drawing Strength Nine. And I thought to myself, it's an art film. It can't be over an hour. First of all, that was deeply wrong. Um, the film starts with 10 minutes of a woman wrapping a present, <laughs> which is a piece of whalebone. And then there's a whole parade <laughs> through a town as people um, dance around a tanker full of petroleum jelly as it's driven to a whaling ship. And then it's for some reason pumped onto the ship. And then Matthew Barney and Bjork are both picked up and they have an elaborate tea ceremony in the ship. And then their room fills with petroleum jelly and they both turn into fish. Anyway, it's very this sounds bad. sounds amazing. <laughs> you know what? You sit through it. I'm done. I'm out of there. So anyway, those three, that is, that is, my, that is my baseline for unbearable shit. And everything else is hopefully above that. But in Moonfall's case, not by much. Oh, I, I just remembered a film I had a violent, visceral reaction to was Project X. <gasps> I loathe that film with every fiber of my being and I wanted everyone that, in it. I honestly, I wanted everyone in it to, to suffer a horrendous fate, being crushed under a wardrobe <laughs> or, or eaten by a sarlacc or, or something. And I wrote, I think I went, I wrote a, I was meant to write a hundred word review. I wrote a 1200 word review. And it's basically about the decline and fall of Western civilization. And um, yeah, Miles right. Teller's in that. Yeah, he is, yeah. Mm. I have never walked out of a movie uh, or a screening, but the closest I came uh, was a film called The Iron Mask with Jackie Chan and Arnold Schwarzenegger, oh, yeah. yes. who I watched with Katie Smith Wong in the front row there. Oh, that movie is bad. It's really, <laughs> really awful. Terrible fight scenes. I don't know what Arnold Schwarzenegger is doing. It's just a bad movie all around. I came very close to walking out, and it was in Soho screening room. So it's, it's one of those movies where if you walk out, you can obscure the screen for a good 10 seconds as you're walking out. I would not have cared. It was that bad, but I stayed the course Should, for some I am reason. walking out now of this movie. <laughs> Just announce yeah. it. Draw attention to it. What, what is a movie that you have walked out of? I, I've walked out of two movies in my life. And one I've just said, uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West. Yeah. The other one, weirdly enough, was Liar, Liar. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I just, I, I hated it. I hated it. And I'm a huge Jim Carrey fan. And I despised that movie. And I was like, this isn't funny. And I can see the tsunami of sentimentality coming a mile off. And I just, I, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Also, I think I got in for free because my friends worked at the Odeon York at that point. So again, it was like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's okay. The films that have enraged me are really weird. The things that I wouldn't expect that didn't 
Like, uh, you like everything, but you gave Godzilla King of the Monsters one, one star. star. That fucking piece of shit film. <laughs> Baffles me. I think I was getting angrier and angrier as I was watching it because everything about that was like, this should be fun. This should be good. I should like this. I'm having a deeply, deeply bad time. And it did things just made me cross. It's, and I wrote it all in the review. It's all in the review. But like the, the attitude to, to nuclear weapons was just like horrifying. It felt like an ugly, nasty film that had no fun nasty. in it. And then when the monsters turned up and started teching each other, you couldn't fucking see anything. What is the point? Is this the film that first woke your dark passenger? <laughs> <laughs> Can we trace it all back to this? Yeah, well, that, there was that. The other one that like I didn't end up reviewing, <laughs> but weirdly just like, oh, I would have walked out if I hadn't been doing an interview for it, was that Mary Magdalene movie. I I've got no, no beef with Mary Magdalene case. herself. But that Mary Magdalene movie with, um, with Rooney Mara and Joaquin Phoenix, I thought was just like, well, one, deeply tedious. Um, but like, obviously all cinema, there is an element of emotional manipulation. It, that's the point of a film, that it provokes an emotional response. But there was stuff to do with that film where I think it was a PG rating, but there was like really horrible like close-up stuff of like starving children dying and i was like fuck you movie absolutely <laughs> fuck you um so that really annoyed me and then i had to go and interview joaquin phoenix and rini mara for that. <laughs> that must have been a joy oh, it was a, a laugh because it was a laugh riot from minute one to minute 20 it is just a chuckle fest with those two <laughs> The, so fun. The other one that really annoyed me that I did review for Empire and I gave it two stars, but honestly, I wish I could have given it one. And again, I think a lot of people would be like, hey, that movie was fine. Was Tag, that comedy oh, tag like that. about them playing. <laughs> I just thought that did an absolute disservice to men everywhere. <laughs> it was like, hey, here's this film that's got like a sweet idea about, hey, male friendships and the way that like these guys keep up with each other in their lives through playing this game of Tag every year. Yeah. And that's like a lovely idea. And all the men in it were hateful. And they all had like deeply bad stuff going on in their lives. And instead of like in the middle of this game of tag saying, hey, I know we're playing this game of tag, but we've also got like some stuff that we should talk about. They were like, I don't care that you're in Alcoholics Anonymous. We're crashing the meeting so I can tag you. And the whole attitude of it oh, was yeah. just like, and it was really grim. And, and that film, I don't know, generally got like 50% on Rotten Tomatoes and loads of people seem to like it. But I just thought the attitude of it yeah. was awful and and men we've got a lot going for us in life in terms of privilege but we fucking deserve better than that shit yeah comedy honestly when a comedy doesn't work it just it's anathema to me i, I, I just feels like when it's leaden something like a, a tag or a or a project x or a, a million ways to die in the west uh, but it's, I, I, just, I honestly, I came so close to walking out. I don't know if my wife's here uh, at the moment. She is. Hey, hey, babe. Hey. Um, <laughs> and we we paid to see Moonfall the other night. Thirty-two pounds. <laughs> and I, I just, I halfway through. Honestly, if it hadn't been for this, if it hadn't been for you guys, you guys gave me the strength to carry on. I would have, I would have gone. Chris, I can't stress this enough. They were inside the moon. <laughs> Ben. With can, Brian. I can't stress enough that that should have been more fun. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, the whole thing just felt like an AI had made it. It was like an algorithm. Anyway. A AI weirdly, is a good film. All right. Yeah, so. true. 
32 pounds was more than they spent on the compositing effects <laughs> for that film. Sad but true. Jimbo, do you have a film you've walked out of? Do not have the kind of time for the films okay. that I fucking hate. I will say that last year there were two films that I didn't walk out of, but I desperately, desperately wanted to. One of them was Malignant. And the other one was West Side Story. <laughs> absolutely the... true. I, I was begging be... for death by minute 15. I really was. Please welcome back Rachel Sager. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, if you'd have left before the final 20 minutes of Malignant, you would have missed the wildest shit you've ever seen no, in your life. It's so fucking obvious all the way through the film. It was no, quite obvious. But oh, it's the execution no, in yeah. all the ex- senses no, of the I word. went and saw that at my local Odeon and there were maybe five people in there and at the end of the film, it was me and this one guy. <laughs> Everyone else had fucking gone. And I was like, I'm a fucking professional. What's your excuse? Like, why are you still here, mate? No idea. <laughs> I'm a fucking professional. <laughs> <laughs> the air quotes Don't were you know? Don't you know? I'm the goat, by the way. Uh, I don't know if you know, here's my business card. Could you card. tell me what that James is? James Lowe, goat. Um, <laughs> uh, the real visionaries are the ones who stay with malignant because the only learn is the true majesty of James Wan's vision revealed to uh-huh. them. Yeah. yeah. I have seen the face of God and it is, <laughs> it is the last 20 minutes of malignant. Uh, okay, Ben, now you get to choose someone. Ooh. This guy has a bright orange iron brew hoodie on and that is absolutely incredible. So you get the next question. Good luck. Just shout it out, my friend. Which movie would you remake that is bad but could be good? I've got one off the, the top Rise of my head. The Rise of Skywalker. Oh, come on. It's a good movie. It already exists and it's fine. New material though. Try it. Just I, one, I, one more I, chance though to get it right would be nice, wouldn't you, don't you think? There are was, there was small tweaks I would make. There are small <laughs> tweaks I would make. Everything between the beginning... <laughs> Somehow... Palpatine returned. <laughs> oh, Oscar Wright, bless his little consorts. His face when he says that line. He just died inside. <laughs> he can't tell the difference between <laughs> his waking life, life and, and dreams. dreams. <laughs> <laughs> um, my go-to answer on this for years has been Van Helsing, which yes. I think if, they, if it had had a story, could have ah. been decent. All they do is they go to this one castle and they try to kill Dracula and it doesn't work. So then they go to this <laughs> other castle and they try to kill Dracula. And initially it also doesn't work. But. Do you remember the end of the movie? I, okay, I'm going to spoil <laughs> Van Helsing for you. The, the end of Van Helsing is that um, Hugh Jackman turns into a big werewolf, mm-hmm. uh, fights Dracula, and then crushes Kate Beckinsale to death. Yeah. That's the end of the movie! But, but it's okay, because by killing Dracula, he ensured that she and all her family got into heaven? She goes to heaven where she watches the last 20 minutes of Malignant on a loop. <laughs> so it's all fine. It's all I, fine. <laughs> I agree with Van Helsing as a pick, but you have to keep Alan Silvestri's score, because it's genuinely fantastic. Van Why are you Helsing, so it's great. Van Helsing, <laughs> he likes to kill vampires and crush Kate Beckers all the yep, It goes exactly like that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I love that score. I still listen to it regularly. One that's sort of recently come up for me uh, on the Disneyversity podcast. Oh, <laughs> oh God. That's the as bad as him. We just watched The Black Cauldron, which <laughs> yes. is fucking yes. wild. If you've not seen it, this yep. is like mid-80s Disney. They don't know what they're doing anymore. The they of do Disney. Yeah. like the darkest, like scariest 
Disney film you've ever seen. There are skeletons raised from the dead. It goes full Raiders of the Lost Ark at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to cut scenes uh, of people's faces melting. Uh, there is a horrible, like, hairy golem creature who is kind of horrifying. But you watch that film, and, and like, some of the design, the way it looks, the arena it's playing in, that whole, like, fancy horror thing, is kind of amazing. Um, and you, I was watching that the whole time, like... Why this could have been isn't good. this being done in live action by David Lowry? Also, because the-, the last thing he did, obviously, for Disney, obviously he's got Peter Pan and Wendy coming up this year, uh, but he did Pete's Dragon, where he's like, let's take one of the shitter ones and just massively reinvent <laughs> yeah. it. So if he did that, plus the Green Knight yes. equals the Black so, Cauldron... That would be amazing. And the books are really good. The mm-hmm. books are absolutely super, super entertaining. It's just that was the worst era of Disney. It was super bad. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, this is a great idea. Yes, Pete's Dragon plus the Green Knight yeah. equals the Black Cauldron. Boom. <laughs> uh, I feel like we've answered this question before, and I feel like I'm remaking my own answer to this question. Um, but I'm going to say time after time, uh, which I'm pretty sure I've said before, but I'll explain again what it is. Time after time is a movie written and directed by Nicholas Mayer who is the writer-director, obviously, of James? Sorry, I was not listening to Jesus <laughs> wept. Uh, it is uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Sure. I was trying to give you good. a Sorry, I was okay. in my own little world. That's fine. You, That's you, good. You, 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 it's you. good. So, uh, Time After Time is a movie in which uh, um, Malcolm McDowell plays H.G. Wells. And H.G. Wells has just completed his time machine for real because H.G. Wells is building a time machine for real. Uh, and he is friends... <laughs> He is friends with David Warner. Uh, only David Warner turns out to be Jack the Ripper. And then whenever Uh-oh. whenever H.G. Wells discovers that uh, his mate is Jack the Ripping, he, he goes, oh, that's bad. And then Jack the Ripper steals H.G. Wells' time machine and disappears. So then H.G. Wells says, I'm going to go after him. And so he chases after him and they end up in modern day, as it was then, 1981, I think, uh, San Francisco, uh, where Rotherlin put into motion his plot to capture and kill Jack the Ripper. He faffs around for ages, falling in love with Mary Steenburgen. Now, I will say, in real life, in real life, Malcolm McDowell and Mary Steenburgen fell in love on that film and had a son. So all is good. And it's not a bad film, but it's just an amazing premise. And Mayer doesn't do anywhere near enough with it. And so that is absolutely the movie I would make. H.G. Wells chasing after Jack the Ripper in the modern day? Yes, please. Thank you very much. Ten million pounds, please, Hollywood. I mean, it makes no sense. Is that enough? As, as we all know, Jack the Ripper was lifted by aliens to be their torturer. We saw him in Babylon 5. This is 100% so, true. Um, Babylon 5 is a big pile of shit. No. Get out. There we go. All right, we're in the end game of the end game now. I think we've got about 10 minutes left. Uh, any more questions? Who, Amon, it's your turn to choose someone. Oh, my. Yellow Mask. Oh, yeah. he's just doing it anyway. All right, we'll, we'll come to you next. I didn't know what any of you looked like before I came through the live podcast. We're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if you were tuning in, who would play you in the movies of your life? See, this is a question we get a lot. And I... I refuse to answer it on just general grounds of looking like Liz. Um, uh, but but you've come through and you've got under the wire and you've asked <laughs> in real life and uh, damn you. Well, obviously, we need people who can do the accent. So like Jamie Dornan and Katrina Balfour right there. So that's us sorted. No, no, no. Richard Gere. Either. Richard Gere and the Jackal re- reprising that, that <laughs> accent. 
you know, make it so. Uh, honestly, I don't know. I, you know, I, there's a long-standing tradition in in Hollywood um, of people who look like me in real life being played by Chris Evans in, in the movies. So. Honestly, that's totally fine. Oh. I want that glow up. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> glow Chris, up Chris or, Evans or with or without better. Tash, because even with that Tash, considerable upgrade on me. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I feel like you're doing yourself a disservice there. It's a really bad Tash. It's a really bad it's Tash. It's really very bad. But this is also a really yeah. bad face. So, yeah. so yeah, didn't get as much of a sympathy ah, as yeah. I was hoping for. Yeah. But <laughs> okay, it was more of a sympathy ah, and then half the room is going, yeah. <laughs> I remember Chris, Chris once described me. Uh, as a shit Jason Statham crossed with an R-rated Sheldon Cooper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not 100% sure he meant it as a compliment, but I can't argue with it. So I guess I'm just going to embrace that. Yeah. So played by whom? Which one? Jim Parsons? Well, it would have or... to be both together. Like an amount of... Like glued a weird, together. Yeah, like a hybrid chimera of... Like, like that fly. Dylan film. <laughs> well, okay, so, so Jason Statham, but like looped with Jim Parsons. Oh, Jim Parsons, but with, Jim, with Jason Statham's face. Like, sure. <laughs> melded onto his body, yeah. but he's in like just horrendous pain. Yeah. So he's you, just going, ah, kill me, you fuckers, every five seconds. You yeah. saying looped also made me think of, what was it, uh, Bruce Willis? Or, uh, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt yeah. with a bit of like Bruce Willis face going on, yeah. mm-hmm. which was just a weird so combination. Station with weird. a bit of Jim Parsons mm-hmm. face going on. Okay. You know. mm-hmm. I what about you, Ben? Um, I don't know if I can say this for myself, but like, especially with the hair he had tonight, Tom Holland? Ish. <laughs> because he's a small child. Because he, <laughs> he's small. surely Ben Grogu would be the person to play you. <laughs> no one could aim that high, Chris. <laughs> no one could aim that high. But yeah, I, I feel like that would be a sort of. He's got your cheeky chappy personality. With, with, with as we've discussed, the Hollywood glow up. Would Would you have picked the the, the best car steel onesie or the lightsaber? Which Which would you have picked? Spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> I mean. It's got to be both. <laughs> it's got to be both. I, I would take the lightsaber over the um, best card, not on an emotional basis, but like I think I just in general life want a lightsaber more than I want chainmail. Mm. That seems fair. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I need a guy who's gonna dress well, and for that reason, Kim uh, <laughs> I'm gonna pick Coleman Domingo to play. Oh yes, oh, that is a hey, very a well done. Talk about snubs, right? In the nominees this week, I mean. Christ, have you seen Sola? Like, evidently not. Yeah. Um, but he's amazing there. And he is phenomenally well-dressed. Yes, he is. He is. Yes, yeah. he is. Yeah. Brad Goldstein could take some tips. <laughs> what, from that pink suit he wore for the yeah. Oh. Just everything. He's got, he's got, yeah. Yeah, he's got it going on. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, have we all answered? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I think we've got time for two last questions. Two last questions. I'm not going to, I'm going to abdicate responsibility in this one. Helen, pick someone. Uh, Front row just there because I saw your hand up last time. Best and worst accents. Sean Connery, The Hunt for Red October. (laughs) (laughs) We share with the history. Because he is so fucking hardcore, he didn't even attempt an accent. (laughs) Who would claim to be lad, which he is not. (laughs) I know that's Untouchables. Um, But yeah, Untouchables, every now and again, he remembers he's meant to be Irish. Just for a second or two. Just, just yeah. for a second. But you can't criticize him because, you know, he had the balls well, just... Well, he's untouchable. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I love that. I love that. I love that Jerry Butler accidentally does the same thing. Um, that he retains his Scottish accent at all times. Yeah. Sometimes he doesn't know he's retaining his <laughs> Scottish accent. And that's fine. That's fine. Uh, the worst accent, I mean, oh God, Dick Van Dyke. 
sure. I mean, that's all. That's so it's such an obvious, such well. an obvious yeah. one. But yeah, I, this Irish people, I guess, are, I judge Irish accents mm. very harshly. Very harshly indeed. There's a lot of very bad Northern Irish accents on film. It's very, very difficult to do. Um, like, I can't always do it. If I try to switch it on fully, I can't do it anymore. I loved your Jamie Dornan interview, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I have not heard Helen be like that for a long time. She was By the end of it, she was like, ah, your head's away with it. <laughs> <laughs> Get on away, Richie. Um, yeah, it was, it is quite funny. He, he, like, again, he just dialed it up as well. He did. So it's, He did, so he did. He did, didn't he? <laughs> Would you like a wee accent with that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, so when you when you meet someone from where you're from, it 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 magnifies and reinforces itself and and gets incomprehensible to other people. I'm so sorry. This is true. that was great. It was great. Um, all right, Ben. I mean, we're just already so obsessed with the Oscar Isaac Moon Knight voice with that one line, though. Making life a murder. Can you imagine when we see like full episodes of him doing more things that we could just repeat ad nauseum? That's going to be incredible. Be I feel like we need to revisit this. I am so looking forward of to the sports. Yeah. <laughs> and, and lovely as well that he has already taken the piss out of the yeah. voice. Yeah. I feel like we're allowed to now, yeah. A, because we're British, and B, because he's already taken the piss out. Yeah. It's going to be great. All right. Last question, someone choose. Come on, James. I'm going to pick this gentleman here in the front row. Uh, have you ever had a social media spat with a director or actor with something you've said about them in a review? Not something I said in a review. Uh, what do you call uh, the guy who's in Fantastic Beasts? Eddie Redmayne? No, the other guy. Dan Fogler? Fogelman? Dan Fogler. Fogler. Is it Fogler? Fogler. Fogler. Dan Fogler. I think, yeah, I think... Um, I think in the quite early days of Twitter, I said something disparaging about, was, wasn't it um, Balls of Fury? Wasn't he Balls of Fury? I'm remembering that right, right? He was I don't Balls want to of accuse, Fury in Balls of Fury. I don't want to accuse the wrong person, but I said something very disparaging about that film, which I thought was very bad, uh, as discussed. You know, comedies that fail really fail. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he came at me for it. And I think, I think it was just that... You know, but you didn't tag him in. He was name searching, wasn't he? I think he was name. Oh yeah, I don't think I would yeah, have tagged him in. I wasn't that much of a dick. In, no, I was not that much of a dick. No, but um, but yeah. So he he had issues uh, with that. But like it was like one or two tweets. It wasn't a big deal. And um, and otherwise, you know, directors and so on, fine. Certain fandoms, less so. <laughs> Yeah, I've never had like directors and stuff, but when I did give Godzilla King of the Monsters one star, the Godzilla stands yes. came for me. Uh, the, somebody sent a gif of Godzilla doing his nuclear blast and said, I wish Ben Travis was standing in front of this. <laughs> Which was honestly one of the best tweets I've ever had in my Fair life. <laughs> Yeah. Their hate only makes you stronger. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had any spats with anyone, but uh, a quote from my review of Night School made it into Kevin, one of Kevin Hart's recent Netflix documentaries, and somebody sent it to me like it was like a quote. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a negative thing. I'm on Woman Empire, and somebody sent me that. I was like, "What, Kevin? <laughs> not not the best way for Kevin Hart to find out who I am, but it's all yeah. good." Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever had any spats um, with people on Twitter. Uh, that said, I am blocked on Twitter by Ken Jeong. <laughs> and I'm not entirely sure why, because I don't follow him and he doesn't follow me. Uh, but I discovered this one day, because um, I have other accounts. 
and someone, you know, you get sometimes someone will tweet something to your account, and, you know, your timeline. And you go, oh, I can't see that tweet. Why can't I see that tweet? So you go into your other account and realize it's because Ken John blocked you. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> why. Uh, and the only, re- the only thing I can think of, the only reason I can think of for why he might have done it is because I wrote a review of Transformers 3 where I went, Ken Jong gets tied to a chair and thrown out a window, uh, which uh, should happen to him in every movie. Um, <laughs> why would he? Yeah, why would that it. be why an issue? Yeah. I mean... So bizarre. Thin skin much? Um, but no, I, it's, just, it's one of those things. It's why I don't like writing reviews anymore. Um, um, <laughs> and try and try not. I'm a lover, not a hater. Uh, and so, uh, Ken, if you're listening and if you're watching, I'm sure you're not. Uh, <laughs> then I apologize. And um, let's um, let's have a hooli. Come around to my house and we'll do a podcast. There you go. There you go. Can't say further than that. Can't say further than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that is it, folks. That is it. Because on that note, that is it for this historic. <laughs> 500th episode of the Emperor Podcast, and quite frankly, this has felt 10 years long <laughs> for us. <laughs> Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by... No idea. No idea whatsoever. I've been so focused on making this show great that, unlike Levi Strauss, I completely forgot about 501. Um, so uh, that is my Monday, basically. i got to try and figure out guests. But it could be a fun one. We may have nobody, but we have had six guests uh, this week, so it was good. So let's thank the guests who were here. Tom Holland! <laughs> Joanna Hogg and Harris Dickinson! Today, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Wow. Uh, so tired. It's also time for some serious special thanks. Uh, so thanks to everybody who provided spot prizes, the likes of Last Exit to Nowhere, Paramount Home Entertainment, Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, Arrow Home Video, Prime Video, Disney, Disney Plus. They're two separate entities. And and more. Uh, thanks also to the amazing, incredible, spectacular, stupendous team here at King's Place. <laughs> Zoe and Sally and Becca and Duncan and Rory and all the tech team. You guys have been incredible. Kate as well. Uh, but of course, the biggest thanks go to you guys because I say this every single live show, but I, I mean it genuinely from the bottom of our hearts. And you come up to us in the meeting greets, and by the way, we're doing another one of those immediately after that. And I am so fucking tired. Come and see what we're like after 12 hours of doing this. Ah, I have no idea which way is up anymore. But anyway, a few of you have come up to us and said what this podcast means to you. And it, honestly, guys, it, it means the world to us that it means the world to you as well. We could not do this without you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for watching. Give yourselves a round of applause. And keep that going for my one, two, three, four colleagues. I'm such lethal cunning. It's goodbye from Mamon Warman. It's goodbye from Ben Travis. Goodbye. It's goodbye from the GOAT, James Dyer. It's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. And it's goodbye from me, 
Oh, yes, indeed. Thank you so much. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Just, just before we go, you've, you've no idea how hard Chris worked to pull all this together because we did fuck all organization. Really did. <laughs> and, fuck all. And he, he organized all the guests. He organized all the spot prizes. He organized timing. He organized everything. He, he has really worked like a dog the last couple of weeks. So huge, huge thanks to Chris. He's amazing. Chris Hewitt. Thank you, thank you. Genuine, thank you. Uh, anyway, that's enough from me. I'm off to try and save Aunt May. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Goodbye, everybody! Yeah.